0: welcome to the jeff gross podcast this episode is brought to you in partnership with party poker go to partypoker.com to play tournaments cash games and improve your poker game make sure you subscribe to the podcast to hear all of my future episodes what's up everyone we have a very special podcast today we got the man king brian rest there's part two today brian how are
1: you i'm good jg how are you doing
0: Good man. Joseph's old time's flying. Stuff's happening. The world's on its head. But uh all in all, it's good, man. But I want to hear about you today. What is Brian Rass? What have you been up to in the recent months and, and just in general? Yeah, I think we had a podcast just over a year ago. Uh so that was cool if anyone wants to go back and watch that, kind of get to know you, you know, a little more about your, your past and everything. But today I wanna talk about what are you up to yeah. in present day?
1: Yeah, I mean that's part of the reason why I'm doing this is that you know we we talk here and there on WhatsApp, but you're, you're so busy. But I figure if I just insert myself in JG's schedule, I'm like, hey, let's do a podcast. I could actually get a quality two hours or something with you to uh, chat, you know, let you know what I've been doing. I mean, I have had an interesting COVID time. I would say when it started, I treated it like, hey, like break time. And I definitely... Uh, spent a lot of time watching like TV and movies and being just generally pretty unproductive. Um, you know, like I watched the entire Dragon Ball series. I watched Watchmen. I watched the most recent season of Curb Your Enthusiasm. Wow. I've watched Money Heist. I-, I watched a few movies, not a ton. Uh, I did get into a bunch of like YouTube content. There's actually surprisingly some very good, Uh, If you want to learn on YouTube, like, for example, I I watched this 1918 flu pandemic series on extra credits and then started getting into Spanish flu. Yes. Which is, you know, there's some parallels, uh, obviously, to what's happening in the world now and and what happened then. I would say the 1918 flu was more deadly than COVID. So uh, COVID has a somewhat significantly lower death rate. Um, than the 1918 flu pandemic did,
0: wow. but a, d- a difference for approximately, or from what so far you can tell.
1: Yeah, I think the flu pandemic was somewhere in the like low single digit percent. It, you know, it's been a little bit, and I'm, and my memory is a little little hazy, so I'm going to throw some numbers out, but they could be off by by a little, but I, they're not going to be off by huge factors. Like I think the flu 18 flu pandemic was something like four percent death rate in that range. Whereas what we're working with now is somewhere between the half a percent to a percent death rate death. And then obviously I think the 1918 flu pandemic didn't, didn't discriminate as much. Whereas uh, COVID obviously is like way higher death rate for say older people as compared to younger, healthier people, you know? So um, there's some, there's some pretty big differences, you know, and then obviously the 1918 flu pandemic historically gets a little bit forgotten because it happens kind of like right after World War I, even though it killed more people than World War I did. But yeah, so anyway, I mean, this was like a series of five videos on this, on this website That's it's like they're very well done. And then I started watching, you know, they have a bunch of other series, like they have one in World War I, they have one in the history of money, they have one on the second Punic Wars, which is the world war between Rome and Carthage. And I was watching that, I was like so fascinated I got into other historical YouTube channels. You're uh, on a rabbit hole, you
0: got rabbit hole.
1: I'm even, dude. I'm even reading a book by a Stanford professor, Patrick Hunt. I'm currently reading a book called Hannibal, which is about Hannibal and uh, his whole man. He's int- he's actually one of the greatest generals to ever do it. He took an army, a Carthage Carthaginian army, marched them over the Alps and down, and was like basically in Italy, rampaging around for. 10 years and just making it work supply chains, recruiting people never really had a problem, even though he was in enemy territory, Roman territory for 10 years, essentially never lost a battle. Oftentimes against armies that were larger than his. I mean, the guy was uh, a genius. It was very interesting. So I I've gone down that rabbit hole. I've gone down a number of rabbit holes
0: that kind of war like old, you know, uh, Game of Thrones-esque stuff, or just like, uh, our, you know, medieval times, like, seems so crazy, right? Like, no technology and shit, you're just, like, on the ground, just like, it just seems really fascinating. I could see how you could get lost in that. I movie. mean, this
1: is this is BC, brother. Uh, yeah. The second Punic War happened, like, around 240 BC, so we're talking, we're not talking medieval times, we're talking from here to medieval times, from a time perspective, and I'm going to, I'm being, I'm actually getting into this, because this is going to get into a lot of other stuff I'm I'm learning about right now. But from here to medieval times, it's actually just as far, if not farther back from medieval medieval times to what we're talking about. Because, I mean, we're talking about something that was, uh, you know, 2,200 years in the past. It's a long time.
0: Wow. Very. Uh, that's, man, that is, that's pretty crazy. I did, I want to actually, it's interesting you mentioned about the Spanish flu, because I heard they actually might have been Eddie Ting. I saw he posted something or someone else. You never know exactly what to believe. But I did see a fact that, like, in the Spanish flu, I think, didn't they, like, open up? the country or they basically like said it was done and then people all came out and started celebrating. then like another outbreak happened even bigger. Is that, is that. I
1: believe there were three waves, uh, that the Spanish flu came in and like, uh, there were three waves over the period of like two years or something. Okay. Um, I think the second wave was the deadliest. Uh, you know, I, I think what we could see with COVID could be something pretty similar that there'll be a couple waves of it. I feel like almost for sure there's going to be a second wave because obviously some of the numbers have leveled off and stopped exponentially growing. But then again, you know, the whole world is kind of in quarantine right now. And I think as people come out of quarantine, you know, more people could get sick. Um, That is what you want to make of it. I mean, you know, I'm not a health expert. And every time somebody who's not a health expert gives their opinion, you know, everybody has got a lot to say flame one way or another. I mean, my attitude is there's not going to be a cure for this or a vaccine probably for at least another year or two from today in terms of, you know, actually getting one and having the production necessary to, to have like enough people get it. Right. So I think if you're young and health, like my general attitude, despite what I post and oftentimes people, some think I'm some kind of raging liberal, I'm actually somewhat libertarian really. And like, My sort of attitude with this is, uh, you know, I don't think it's deadly enough that the world should shut down. I think the death rate's way too low. And I think at some point, it's kind of like people should be allowed to go back to what they're doing and you're on your own to figure it out. And maybe the government helps out, gives assistance to people who are actually need to quarantine themselves because they're old or they have diabetes or they're, you know, have heart problems or lung problems. So they're in the high risk group so they should self quarantine and maybe the government you know helps out with continued assistance to them
0: it's a, it's, it's like a, it's a complex it's a yeah. complex deal right there's uh, it's a very polarizing you know you can either say it's like the scariest shit ever and stay inside lock your door hide your wife hide your kids or you say everyone's going to get it the herd mentality and like it's okay I'm young and healthy and I'm not that worried about it but i don't know and there's a lot of different information out there it's very you know obviously it's not great to get it you want to try to do no.
1: I mean, I don't think you want to get it and you definitely want to try not to. And if you, even if you came out and went to work, you'd still want to practice some good, like social distancing, maybe wear a mask, gloves, whatever. I'm not saying it's just like, Oh, do whatever and go kiss people on the street. It's not a big deal. But you know, the flip side is, is there's a huge economic cost to keeping yeah. everyone at home. Right. I mean, our government just fucking threw $2 trillion leveraged out of midair is throwing it at everyone. And if we just keep doing this, it's like, I mean, you know, society still has to go on. So at some point you ask yourself, like, is the cost worth it? And it's hard to do this kind of like judgment because you're basically putting a cost on like more people dying and getting sick than they would otherwise. But it's like throughout the history of humanity, people have died and gotten sick. And at some point you have to decide, like, should life go on as it is or not? And so it's like my opinion is my opinion. Yeah. Uh, other people can have different opinions, like you said. It's very polarized. So, yeah. you
0: know, yes, and and uh, also I do think though, as as negative it may be, or as as so many people are dying, it's scary. The world's like it's confused is a good way to probably put it. But there is probably a lot of uh, benefits that could potentially come from this, just with overall hygiene, you know, security. Like people just maybe taking better care of themselves, being more ca- cautious, aware, and. Uh, Again, it's not, it's sort of like a touchy thing to say, but the fact, like the fact that so many of the people that are getting sick or even dying are like, are, are old and maybe already pretty sick, you know, it's it, not that that's like, oh, it's better than someone who's like regular. It's just sort of like, it's a little bit of a different feel to it. Right. Because it's like these people, um, for the most part were maybe having health problems, but it gets a little bit dicey, right? You start talking about like, oh, who's like, it's okay to die or not die or, you know, whatever. So uh, anyway, I, I get your stance. I'm, I'm pretty much in the same boat is you, how I feel. And I think it, it is good. The economy, it's, it would be worse if everything just stays shut forever. Right. Like if the, if the economy just like, if things just like stay turned off, it messes up the flow of the world. Like, I just here.
1: think, I mean, I'm not saying it was wrong to do what we did, right? you know, for it to take a pause, but the, the point of the pause should be to figure out how to get things going. Right. And at some point it's like, I mean, I think that people should be responsible for their own decisions and you can make your own decision about how much you want to quarantine or not and how important that is to you. And it shouldn't be a mandated thing from the government that everyone has to do it. Cause like another example is what if you got it? What if you got it? So like you have antibodies that should be good for, you know, if it's not permanent, at least for another year or whatever, like, like normal flu, you know, like you get a flu, you get antibodies, generally good maybe till at least the next flu season. Right. Should those people be forced to stay in? You know, I don't know. So, I mean, I think there's a lot of questions to go with this and, and in general, I'm against like complete government control. You know, this is another rabbit hole we can go down, but the more it's just like, let the government mandate and absolutely control everything in the name of safety. You know, I think that ends up leading to dystopian future worlds where, you know, it's like literally like 1984 and it, you know, it's scary. And, uh, you know, I, so for me, um, this is serious, but it's like you can even look historically. And in the last in 100 years ago, there was another flu pandemic that was essentially like eight to 10 times worse than this in terms of its death rate. And I'll tell you what, in the next one or 200 years, very likely there's going to be another flu pandemic that is probably worse than covid so yeah, it's
0: like hopefully hopefully the technology and the the the, the yeah, i guess the systems in place are going to be improved or, or as as good as possible right cuz like that's that's the crazy thing about this to me is like yeah so old people are getting affected right and it's like really bad for them but you know you don't you don't get to control we don't know there could be mutations or this could be in 2 years or 1 year or 5 years like just like bad hurricanes right it's not like every decade there's a really bad hurricane it could be back to back to back years and it's also like what if it was killing all babies or like all healthy people you know like how, how does it it could be a lot scarier a lot more severe right like it's like you just don't know what the virus is gonna what it does what what it, who it affects
1: yeah you know. so it's, it's i mean really it could weird. get more severe obviously yeah. viruses can mutate so i mean this one could mutate and become more deadly in a in a future strain a year from now i mean so there's right. a lot of things that can happen and it's hard to you know no one can predict it all but uh you know so everyone has their opinion um i just hope in general that society sides with Trying as much as possible, maximize freedom and let people make their own decisions. I generally think that tends to be uh, the best. And and
0: it's true, but you can't let can't let the inmates run the asylum either. You know, so there's a bit of a. It's a. I mean, a, I think clearly.
1: You know, I'm not advocating for anarchy or lawlessness. I think you know, there's some extreme libertarians that go that far, and and I'm not. You know, but at at the same time, I yeah. I don't know. I'm with you. We're not going to solve any problems here on this podcast about what to do. I'd like
0: to know where your head's at, Ras, because I think you're generally pretty spot on what's happening. So fair enough.
1: What else? I will say, so I've actually, it's interesting. So you touched on like what this is doing. I mean, I actually think one of the positives about what this doing is it gave people a time to like reflect a little bit more about their lives So even though I'm kind of a person who recently has been stayed at home a lot more, still like the fact that like I know I'm forced to stay home gave me opportunity. At first, I was using it just as like an escapist vacation. But, you know, I mean, I was started to work out more. I've been uh, sleeping better. I've had actually now two months of the most consistent exercise and good sleep that I've had in fucking forever man I'm, I'm, I'm
0: impressed about the adjustment on the time of the podcast like you know it's not you like that cool really up was, at
1: 50 a.m today because you're, you're a guy that can I, be up
0: based on the poker schedule and whatnot you can be up five six seven a.m or whatever so like you're not you're not an 8 a.m guy usually no I'm no
1: impressed. you're my friend you know that normally me yeah. getting up before noon is like 50 50 so no yeah. i've been totally readjusting the circadian rhythm um i feel great i mean i've been <laughs> starting like a month ago at least about maybe about a month ago i even also decided like hey i'm not just gonna i was getting tired of like wasting my time so uh i decided to start learning things and it snowballed man so you know whatever four weeks ago maybe i got a uh controller so i'm gonna go over here so i got my setup now we gotta hit on the dj look i got a I got a controller. It's not an actual CDJ, but it's a it's a it's a two channel. It's got. It's pretty good. It's a
0: Pioneer. You could throw a house party, is what you're saying.
1: Yeah, and I got I got a. I'm using yeah. record box. I actually made my first house music mix. It's not perfect.
0: I heard Most it transitioning song to song. Can I can. I might play it on my uh, on my. Uh, Please record. play it. Yeah, you should play it when you're
1: playing poker. Okay, you can go check out on my SoundCloud page. It's basically got a lot of house music tracks that I've been like. It's like one of the reasons why I'm doing it. There are a couple of uh, objectives I have. So the first and simplest is, hey, like, you know, I want to listen to a like a continuous uh, playlist, but the, like the songs that I like, that I want to listen to. So um, as opposed to like what you, you know, just go and listen to something someone else made. So this had a bunch of tracks that obviously I like. I love all of them. Right. And um, uh, you know, I, I I'm, it's harmonically mixed. So each song is harmonically mixed with the next one. Mostly it's song to song, but there's a couple times I do some interesting stuff. Like I throw Rolling in the Deep on over kind of like uh, a deep electronic track which is pretty cool and then at the end i mix uh two rufus to soul songs over top of inner bloom that's so i'm wrong or right and yeah. i mix. uh damn another one and i and it's over top of inner bloom and those actually came out pretty good and that's like those ideas went beyond just song to song
0: you, you so, said group chat. i did hear part of it i really like the intro i will play that today on my I might just let that run for the, uh, the show today. So I, cause then I get same thing. I get to, I got to have music on the show for, for hours at a time. I, let's hear what DJ, yeah. Rast, what is your DJ name? Is it King Rast? What are you going to go with? I don't even yeah.
1: have a DJ. Don't even have one yet. I, I probably end up using my moniker, Zar Rast. Yeah. Like, Zar Rast.
0: That sounds kind yeah. of. I can do exactly. that. Listen, you got it. We have an end to Marquis Tau. You know, shout out to Strauss. If you need to get in there, maybe you could open up one night. If you, uh, I listen,
1: I'm not good enough yet. I'm not good enough yet, but maybe one day. All right, I mean,
0: day. So maybe day.
1: one day. day that is day. one of the goals is to be able to DJ parties. But like, I mean, I'm not really, really like live DJing, mixing stuff with a bunch of distractions and whatever. I mean. Yeah, it's it's there's there's a lot to go
0: into it, and uh, there's an energy to it, though. There is something powerful about it. You know, Gila Liberté—that's his. You know, he's doing that now. That's like his main thing. He's DJ G from Cirque du Soleil. Yeah,
1: like, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like, I've heard him he, I get I get sent emails with his like mixes and stuff. Yeah, it's 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 fun. I mean, yeah, man, I've. It's like I got into electronic music. Basically, I went to my first rave the summer I graduated high school. And that got me like instantly into at the time trance and uh, I can just throughout college and then after college and then electronic music became my go to like I would listen to it whenever I would play online poker. Whenever I would play poker, I'd be listening. I'd bring my iPod or I'd be listening at home the entire time during my session, just get you in that mood. And, you you know, I'm pretty intense. So back in the day, you know, 10, 20, 30 hour sessions, just banging them out, like listening to electronic music the whole time. So, you know, I, it was um, I spent many, many hours listening. You know, I, I had like three or four years in a row. I went to Burning Man. So, you know, despite it's one of the times where I feel I, I don't know, there's something about electronic music for me is when I can really there's a way you can feel the beat. And it's like you a really good song. You can just. You know what's coming. You know the way they're layering it in. You know when they're about to drop, and all that stuff. And uh, yeah, even dancing. Like you've been with me at Burning Man. I mean, I really, I really go for it when comes sure. to dancing. You,
0: everything you really, you do go for it. Actually, Burning Man that year, that was uh, 2014. You taught me my first Portuguese word. Your uh, Juliana, your wife's Brazilian. My yeah. now wife is Brazilian. I remember when I told you I said I was going to marry uh, Amelia, and then I, I asked you like, and I you her there. I was you with
1: heard. you at Burning Man when you met her. Yes. We were actually out on the same trip together. And even though I wasn't actually with you when you met her, I was like sort of with you. I was yes. with you right before
0: and right. Yeah. I dismissed it. I think you actually went ahead. And then I stayed behind with Phil Bort, Phil Gruesome. And then we, I was with him sitting, on, sitting there And when we walked by each other. But interestingly enough, do you remember the word you taught me? I bet you remember. It was the first yeah. word. I know exactly. I'm
1: pretty sure it was probably
0: Sal so that was that that just way.
1: that's like the fucking it's an amazing word it's
0: a powerful word like it, honestly, actually I know mean, it means it couldn't go wrong like just literally means
1: like, like the sense of longing that you have when you're not with somebody but you're thinking about them it's like yes. holy fuck like what a great like and it's in one word that's one
0: yeah. word you know it's a strong word it might all for great me word. someone initially And like actually them being Brazilian, it might even be a little forthcoming, right? It's a pretty strong word, but it's, or is it just like, that's kind of cute. Like it's a little, it feels, that's a, it's a powerful word. It's almost like saying, I love you kind of, right? A a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Well, a little bit. Well, here we are. So the word worked and. Yeah. So I mean, I'm, I've gotten into mixing.
1: So we get bringing that back to this. So, you know, that's, that's one thing I've been doing. I, you know, I have a music library of like 8,000 songs. And for the last years, I hadn't even been downloading new songs because I would just, oh, SoundCloud playlist, it's free. But then obviously you want your own music for the mixing. So it was a mess, but I, I finally organized and re my whole library. You know. So that's one thing. Other thing I've been getting into, by the way, so it started out like three, three or four weeks ago. I, um, I, I signed up for three classes on Stanford Continuing Studies. So we got diet and gene expression, a class about like meet the new technologies of the, of the world today, blockchain, machine learning, internet of things, cloud, whatever, and nutrition, a personalized approach. And so then I was in those classes for a couple of weeks and I said, hey, fuck it. Like turns out like I wasn't even taking him for a grade. So all those classes are like say two hours of work a week. So then I just randomly a week and a half ago signed up for like five, six more on Coursera Wow. I'm taking a class on big history, connecting knowledge. So big history is the idea. If you want to call it, normally we think of history as just like what's happened in humanity, especially since the time we started writing. So like five, 10,000 years ago to today. Okay. But really, if you want to think like, what does history mean? Big history is the idea of you start from the big bang all the way to today. And you sort things by when there's a massive increase in complexity, so this course has eight increases of complexity. So first there was the Big Bang, then there was like stars and the, you know, stars exploding, generating the elements. It was like, you know, everything in the universe is actually stars explode and go through their living process and creates the elements, right? Because right. the universe started out of hydrogen and helium basically, and then stars this, and there's this whole process in the stellar furnace, but then they shoot out all the heavier elements how they coalesce and follow solar systems and so on and so forth. till you get to today through human history. So that's right. an, a cosmology class kind of from the big bang to dark energy.
0: What, so, so just to be clear on these, the yeah. you know, on these classes and whatnot, like the big bang theory versus Adam and Eve or God, like, how, I mean, is it, it's like Democrat Republican, right? It's like, it's, it's, I it's, mean, like, it's like, it's like you're just one or the other. No, even let me there. put
1: it this way. here's the way that I view the world. Everybody has their own way. They view the world and, and God bless everybody for, for what they think. Right. You know, the most important thing to me when I'm deciding what I'm going to, to believe, so to speak is, uh, let's call it the scientific process. So I, my default state is more or less, you know, being skeptical about information that's given to me. Now the scientific process has allowed human beings So now I'm not saying like science is my God. I I don't want, that's not what I mean. But what I mean is the scientific process is that you have a theories like, oh, like Adam and Eve or evolution. And now you look at evidence and you see what evidence supports these various theories, especially you come out with ways to test the theories based on the evidence. And then you decide what is more likely, right? So science is just, it's simply a process. Of evaluating theories based on the information at hand. So my way of viewing the world is very much related to that. Now, I'm not saying that I don't allow for I, science doesn't answer all questions. And in fact, many of the most important questions about like why, science doesn't really give you whys. It just gives you how, how come things happen. And you know, you can fill in what you want for your whys. But you know, when I decide what I'm gonna believe, it's mostly you know how. And and I do have room for a few whys. and and actually even recently I even I even wrote a blog article about this. I've had a sort of technical change of how I feel about things from being an agnostic, uh, which is different than atheist, but an agnostic. To you know,
0: Sp- explain the difference just to clarify. So Atheists.
1: There, there's some dispute about this, but the way I view it is an atheist believes that there is not a god. Okay. Or an agnostic believes that they don't know
0: or there's like a higher
1: power but not necessarily a god or something. no an agnostic would say i don't know there's not really information or proof that would let me believe that there is or isn't a god so i'm you know going to say that i don't know the answer to this whereas an atheist would basically say given that there's no information at all that there is a god uh it seems like you know occam's razor or whatever you want to say it seems like the like, why would you believe in it? Like, I don't believe in the tooth fairy, so why would I believe in God? So therefore an atheist, because there's no inf- information, an atheist would say they don't believe in God. Now, you can disagree about whether or not there's proof or whatever. I'm just saying that's the way most atheists would, I'd say, categorize their beliefs. Obviously, we're being very general, and I'm not. This is a, there's books, tome debates about this. I'm giving a few-second summary, but I'm just – so that's sort of – the summary difference between an agnostic and an atheist. And I always consider myself an agnostic, but I think more recently I've sort of allowed, and, and it's a bit definitional, but I've sort of allowed the idea that I think I'm, I'm very open to some sort of uh, sp- spirituality uh, of some kind. I, I, I almost for sure don't have religious beliefs or, or believe in religion. I almost think that's kind of like what man ends up saying about it. And what the hell do people, especially 2000 years ago, know about the nature of the universe? Like all religions, for example, have stories about, you know, uh, ontological stories about how the universe began. Like you just brought up one, Adam and Eve. Okay. I mean, personally, I think it's ridiculous. Now, obviously you could say it's an allegorical story that has other meanings of like morality and things to say, okay, fine. But as an actual story about like, where we came from, I think it's silly. I mean, you know, the truth is, is that science has given a lot of answers yeah. about, like, say, how old things are. Like we can know with pretty reasonable certainty based on a number of uh, a, a wealth of information over geology and all kinds of other things about, like, say, the age of the earth and the age of the universe. And there's a bunch of ways that we know, like the universe is approximately 13.8 billion years old. Earth is, you know, about four and a half billion years old, which is about how old the solar system is. You know, life on Earth is some in the three to four billion year range. And there's a lot of like fossil evidence and other geological evidence to start supporting a bunch of these various things. It,
0: it, and honestly, when I start thinking about this stuff, just like it is so crazy, like to think that we're in the year 2000, right? And you're talking about 13 billion years and shit. Like it's crazy. It's it really is wild. Like you you start thinking about the universe, other planets. Is there human life or is there life forms on other planets or galaxies? Which would you would imagine? Yeah, right. If the universe is so vast, right? These type of things. It's kind of it's kind of nutty.
1: I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of like discussion around that idea. The actual sort of name to think about that in some ways is it's the Fermi paradox, which is like you know if like you said, there's, you, know, you want to frame it, there's, you know, billions of planets. There's, like, many planets around billions and billions of stars just in the Milky Way galaxy, and there's billions of galaxies in the universe. Like, you know, there must be life, essentially.
0: I mean, from dude, a, it's so crazy. crazy. Standpoint. Honestly, I, just, I just, like, blacked out.
1: Cause, like, and there's some know, things, know. like, are there filters? Are there areas in which it's very hard for la- for it to get... Somewhere like you know, the formation of life, going from a single cell to a multi cell, uh, getting to intelligent life. Is there a filter after where we are? Like, somehow, when life becomes intelligent, does it snuff itself out due to decisions it makes? Or, you know, I mean, there's a whole bunch of uh, discussion about this. The truth is, it's all speculation. There's not really a way to know the answer to this. We're a little bit too. Young and we don't have the tools yet to to maybe see enough. It's even possible that there is life out there and we just can't see it yet for whatever reason. We're not looking in the right or, way.
0: Yeah, or we're in the matrix, which you know I I think we talked about this point. Elon Musk says it's we're like, in a simulation. Yeah, simulation or we're the Truman Show. Yeah. You know, and that I think that's an interesting theory to think like every sick like my life for example is like. It's like a, like every, like everyone's not real. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's basically your life is like your version, right? So it's like you live your own life and everyone's just like a, a plant in it. And you're just like living this like game, I, stuff like that. I don't know, man. It's, it's trippy, but rest, I don't want to go do it. I could talk about this stuff forever with you. Cause it's yeah. like very interesting. I'm actually, I, I I could literally talk about this for 10 hours and I, I'm curious. So, I mean, I, that's, that's the stuff I beginning to. to, like I
1: said, I'm I'm currently uh, taking eight classes that all about, they're all about two hours a week. So, I mean, we're talking about like a part-time job's worth of learning that I'm I, taking. I want to
0: ask you about that, what that is. You went to Stanford. We, we covered yeah. this on the first podcast. You you were there. You dropped out, I believe, at the first semester, first year. You, were, you have a Stanford. You, you got into Stanford. No,
1: first first year, nothing. I was there for four years. It was, and I didn't get a degree. <laughs>
0: it's, okay, it's, but you were uh, there. For, you were yeah. there, You didn't finish, but you were there for four yeah. years. Yeah, you got, you got the college experience. You were at Stanford. I, Be- I got Stanford. the college experience. Yeah, I almost went there for soccer. I I, I went to their soccer camp. Uh, Brett Simon, I believe, was the coach there, and uh, it was the nicest campus in the world. I mean, it's disgusting. Stanford right. is is it's, it's it's awesome. a different level. It does, it's it's does their
1: own. They have their actually. They're their, technically they're technically their own city, and and even though in California, there's no open container on Stanford campus, you're, you're legally allowed to. Uh, so basically like it, it's pretty, it's cause they want, they don't want the kids. They don't want the young adults to leave campus and go with elsewhere. So basically they let, if you're 21, although obviously many people are, are walking around when they are under 21, you 18, know, 18, 19, 20, uh, it's a great environment. Now, you know, Stanford has a lot of, hardworking people. So like one of the things I found during my time there is Stanford was actually one of the moments in my life when I was the most like, kind of fuck it. Like I'm going to do what what I want. So obviously to get into Stanford, I was kind of a beast in high school. I mean, I, I was valedictorian in my class, of, like 800 kids. I got like a 1550 on the SAT. I got all fives on like 10, uh, whatever AP with one to five class tests, like, um, I I got like two 800s and a 780 on the SAT twos. I was in a bunch of extracurriculars. Like I smoked high school. Skating by is what you said. No, and I and I I didn't even study as hard as some of the other people in, in in my classes. Although I mean I did my work. You know, it's not like I goofed off. But that said, it was like it was like a fun process. Like my friends were in my classes. I lived by the school. People would come by after. We'd do some work, shoot some hoops, play some video games. You know, it was like a whole good thing. Then I went to college, and all of a sudden, it was like I have no idea what I want to do. Oh, hey, I guess I'll spend most of my first year playing Counter Strike, and I actually got like ridiculously good at Counter Strike.
0: Strike was a the thing then. I thought that's like a new hot game that's been around for twenty. No,
1: man. I in years? fact, my freshman year was when they kind of was like the betas, and then I went to version one and I was like ridiculously good at. It. I actually ran a clan. And we were like 44-2 and two in match in, I, in, I, like, yeah. during <laughs> leagues during the six months. Of,
0: clan. Let's cl- clarify. What is a clan is for Counter-Strike? Yeah, you got
1: like your tag and this. And we had our own MIRC channel. It was like super so, funny. This is what I'm saying, though. It's like I had friends who went to, let's say, less difficult colleges. And they're like, oh, yeah, dude, we land party all weekend. No one was playing Counter-Strike as serious as me in my freshman dorm. I was by far like the only one fucking off at the level that I was like fucking off. So
0: that's crazy. Yeah. And and, and uh, so tell us a little bit, how did you, how did uh, I want to ask you about the courses online? Cause that was my point that you went to Stanford, you're taking this course on Stanford. Could I go to Stanford's website and sign up and be in the same course as you, or is it maybe a different price? Or I did think
1: you have I can. In fact, I think for most, in fact, this isn't for most, uh, I think a lot of colleges have these like continuing studies type of thing. And you know, as I think I am have a discount, but I think anyone can take them. And in fact, one of the things in Coursera, which is where I signed up for these new courses, is Coursera actually has a bunch of uh, courses that were, I don't know if currently, but like recently, at least recently available in a number of institutions. So like a lot of the Coursera courses I'm taking were actually courses from a professor at an institution, for example. So... I think even one of them is is actually from Stanford. How much,
0: how much do how much do one of these courses what's the range in these courses cost? Coursera call? you can take them
1: for free. It's pretty fucking awesome and and a lot of these courses I'm pretty impressed with the quality of it. The Stanford courses were like a couple hundred bucks each. And you can you can take them for a grade or not depending so I'm actually not taking any of the Stanford classes for a grade. The the Coursera courses you can sign up to get a certificate of completion for them for like 40 bucks or something if you want. So I, so it's, it's, and I find the quality of this overall is better than a lot of like what's available normally on the internet for a lot of this material. Yeah.
0: And just speaking of Stanford too, just a little flashback here. I want I do want to got to remember, we do have a RAS, one of the all time uh, money earners, actually number one in California all time, which is kind of crazy because I would think there's it's a lot of, uh, you know, strong pl- strong uh, tournament players from California, but 21 million lifetime earnings. I barely
1: Actually, added to that number too for like over a year and a half yeah, now, if you look. Yeah, I was going to no. say,
0: look at this. You haven't, because uh, you, you hit that streak of like five or six years, a million dollar in cash is one of those. I, I
1: think I set the record. I yeah. own the record for most consecutive million dollars, but yeah, I, I just missed it like two or th- two years ago and then basically kind of was already and turned it off. I mean, I... May, it's like, here's the deal. It's, the, it's just straight up truth. Is No Limit was the game. I started my career off. I was a cash game player. I was very, very good post-flop, especially deep situations, uh, very good hand reading. Uh, I, I, I learned a few things about ICM, whatever, hopped in. Honestly, 10 years ago, tournament players were very weak compared to the top cash game players. If you learned a little bit about short stacking and ICM, which I think is way simpler than other aspects of it. I started smashing tournaments and uh, thought I was plus EV in a lot of spots. Uh, Looking back, I, you know, I think I was in a good spot a lot of times, but really I think the biggest thing is the advent of solvers allowed, basically it gave everyone an opportunity to study and get good actionable answers and, Starting whatever five or six years ago, as solvers came out and people were using them, I think you see uh, the the level of play in no limit hold'em tournaments really start to to like accelerate. And the truth is, is that in the last five or six years, I haven't worked nearly as hard, like not even in the same league as a lot of the guys uh, who were dedicating themselves. Cause, you know, I was playing no limit hold'em tournaments, but I was also playing all kinds of different cash games, mostly mix. And so no limit hold is usually one out of like 10 to 15 games in the mix I'm playing. And I was already one of the, if not the best player in no limit and in, in most of the mixed lineups I would play. And so it was like, and you know, I was doing well in tournaments, but then I didn't keep up my studying with the no limit. And a lot of guys worked really hard and uh, you know, eventually got to a point where I had to take an honest look at it and go, well, you know, my spot's not nearly as good in most of these no-limit hold'em tournaments. And uh, I'm going to take, take a little bit of a back seat in these high rollers unless I start working on my game. Seriously, and I haven't, haven't really done that yet, but, you know, every year that goes by, it's a little bit less likely I'm going to. But who knows? Maybe one day I'll, I'll catch the fire and, and, and want to do it again. But
0: for sure and i wanted to ask you what was uh we again guys we have had a we have had a podcast with brian rass before you can go back and check that out um we talked about some but give me the re- how did you first who was the one or when did you actually pick up poker what got you it was it in college or in high school or when when did you start getting into it
1: yeah when i really picked it up was in college my third year in college
0: um third year. so you were you hadn't poker was not on your uh, was in uh, on the table not on my radar so third year. And how did that happen? A good friend of mine, Mike
1: Asmar, shout out if you're watching this podcast. Uh, he him and a couple of his friends started this poker club on Stanford campus. They put up a bunch of posters, kind of spoofing Fight Club, like number one rule about poker club. Don't talk about poker club. I love games, man. And I, you know, I had it's not like I had never heard of poker or never even played it. I had, but like, you know, just very not seriously, didn't even really know all the rules. Type of thing went to that poker club kind of piqued my interest. You know, a couple guys in there had books and I was like, Oh wow. You know, unlike other games I had played, you could, I'm like, there's casinos. You can go play poker. You can play online. Like maybe I could actually try to win money at poker. And I could definitely see that there was very, it's like very easily strategic ways to play better tactical ways to play better and kind of like got into it. Um, Basically, by that first summer between my junior and senior year, uh, read a bunch of books, parlayed a temp job that I had for a month or two in the beginning of summer, which I quit. I took that money, won 20K playing poker, kind of kept playing through my senior year, which was a became a disaster because of how, you know, now it's just like Counter-Strike, it was like poker, but even, even more because it was like almost like, oh, poker is going to become my job. Like, yeah. well,
0: now, now, there's, not allowed, there's not room for school. If you're playing a video game like that, you're leading the charge there. Plus poker. It's like,
1: you know, Oh no, no. Counter-Strike was gone by that point. I'm just saying that it's like, so it's like Counter-Strike. I was able to turn off because essentially coming back to school, my sophomore year it was like, okay, you know, Counter-Strike doesn't really have a future. So at some point it was fun to become one of the world's best at this video game. But like, I guess actually now there is a future in that, but like 20 years ago, there wasn't. So I was like, kind of, I guess I got to go back and focus on school. Uh, But poker, it was like, oh, hey, there might actually be a future in this. So maybe I don't need this degree. Like, who cares? Like, I can make, you know, at the time my ideas with poker were way less ambitious than they ended up becoming. But it's like, I could see you could make like a decent living. Uh, It didn't even seem to be that hard.
0: Look at this, Counter-Strike on Twitch right now. There is... 108,000 viewers watching someone play Counter-Strike at this moment, 22 million followers in the category. Like this guy right here, Rasty, this could have been you. He's got 10,500 people watching him f- play. Or I don't even know. That's not Counter-Strike, I don't think. But No, it's not Counter-Strike. He's in the category. I'm, I don't know why. I'm, I'm too old, man.
1: La- I've heard video games like you peak by the time you're like in your early 20s. You're already past the peak, right? Yeah, you're past the prime. So
0: reaction rep, time, rep, rep, in, uh, rep in Rio here. GG to Rio. I mean, dude, these leagues and these these sports, they are giving uh, scholarships now. To uh, they're giving scholarships for for League of Legends and these other games like the Big Ten and different conferences actually have like actual structured. You know, it's like being on a sports. I game. will
1: tell you, as a as a game enthusiast, my whole life it, there is definitely room for uh, video games offering to really unreal strategic situations in terms of decision making that you're doing and, and also requirement for you in terms of processing and quickly yeah. synthesizing using information. Whether I mean like th- some of the games I would say that really exemplify this and are all a little different. Counter strike from a very immediate tactical standpoint, but there there's a lot of tactical and strategic considerations in Counter Strike. Especially it was like you're on a team, you have an objective Especially when you're running a clan, like I was setting up our strategies, like who goes here, like what to do, talking on the voice, you know, implementing it. So it's not just your, I mean, obviously your skill in shooting and not getting shot is probably the most important thing, but there's a lot more than that. Then StarCraft, I played quite a bit. Obviously StarCraft, you know, building this, resource management, whatever. And then on the even like longer strategic standpoint, a game like Civilization 4, which we're tying a few years later, but that game was sick. You know, it's like taking yeah, a civilization.
0: How are you? How are you? These many games, like you're, you're, you're poker world champion. You're, 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 counter-strike leading charges. You're doing, I mean, you're taking on. Like, well, I like, wasn't
1: like, anything great know. at StarCraft or Civ. I mean, I, I was probably a fine player, but you know, it's not like I played these to the extent
0: that I played poker, much less. You know, I think to your point, I think this is really important. I'm a man of many interests. I JJ. love that. That's why I love learning. Yes. You're on a second podcast. you you're, you're, we're already, we're, we're diving in. We're going deep, and I want to know what you feel on that. Like, with in terms of, that's a great point. Talking about games, strategy, these type of things. Do how, how, you feel that it's good for you know, let's say, like I have a son, one year old. no, you have Krishna. Uh, your son is, is well. And, you You know, do you feel that those games and things really provide, they provide valuable lessons, right? Strategies, things in life that you can apply. And some uh-huh. parents might say, oh, video games are a waste of time or this and that. But, you know, my dad, for example, says he wish he had played poker earlier and he learns and he plays it now, but you can just apply so many things to the real world from these definitely
1: episodes. i mean it depends a, a bit on what game you're playing but you know as a kid i actually did not watch very much tv and played quite a bit of video games and um i think there is i mean you're interacting with a video game and watching a tv is passive Yeah. so uh, clearly there's a lot more room for i think stimulating your brain in video games and you can definitely find video games that i think do this to a large extent i I don't really play very many video games anymore. I'd say the only like what we'll call a pure video game I played in the last year. Actually, I'm currently playing a game called the witness, which is a really cool, like you're, you're on an Island, you solve a bunch of puzzles. Uh, I mostly use, you know, I, I have an account on Lumosity, which is a brain training site, which I've used off and on for the last eight years, probably once every year, once every other year I go through, a few weeks or a month where I use it. You know, I
0: we were doing that. I remember in Cabo during the, uh, it was a school yeah. series in May. We were doing that every day in a cold plunge and we had a nice little routine. Lumosity. I very much, man.
1: Yeah, I very much, one of the, claims, the classes I'm taking biohacking your brain's health. And the other upcoming I'm really waiting for is demystifying mindfulness. Like, let me put it this way. Like I understand at this point in my life where uh, one of the most important things for me playing poker is how well my brain works. Right. And so this is a combination of what's called like the raw horsepower of my brain. So, you know, working on brain function and, you know, speed processing, flexibility, attention, yeah. but then also ability to be mindful. Um, I, I think clearly when you're playing poker, one of the, anyone who has played a bunch, I mean, you're sitting there for a very long time and your ability to focus and be aware on what you're doing and kind of like tune out the rest of the world and have that mindfulness, Uh, you know, it's not just with poker really in anything in life being mindful leads to much better performance in that. I mean, I think this is one of the reasons why most people can get this very naturally doing something like sports. And that's why a lot of people love playing sports because you're in there, you're shooting hoops, you're playing a three on three. You're not thinking about anything else. You're just past this run, grab the rebound And you're not worrying about it. Now, sometimes with poker, you know, like, for example, for me, when I started playing poker and it was all newer, it was easy. I could go play 15 hour poker sessions and be totally consumed because it's like every spot felt new and this and thinking about it. You know, now I've been playing poker for, man, who the fuck knows how long have I been doing it? Like 15, 16, 17, 17 years. And it's like, it's very easy for me to tune out a little bit and start thinking about other things. And I'm sure you get this too. I mean, we both use Elliot Rowe, right? It's the whole idea. And so when you do that and you're on your phone or this, or you're browsing the web or whatever you're doing and you're thinking about something else, you're not playing your best poker. Because there's a process that your brain goes through when it's fully focused on something, uh, the level and depth and complexity of the thoughts that you have about it is on another level than when you're actually kind of thinking and processing something else with, you know, the forefront of your attention. And I think it shows up, you know, no matter how experienced you are, it'll show up in your play. And so, you know, I, I think about these things and while I'm not going to say I'm perfect in implementing them, all this stuff gets my attention. And even if to be perfectly Frank, I probably, you know, Spent, compared to a lot of people, somewhat embarrassingly low amount of time in the last, say, like five years, like actually studying the mechanics of poker. I'm not saying I don't. I'm not saying I never use PO Solver. I don't pull, plug in equities and whatever and pro poker tools to look at various spots in mixed game. But really, a lot of my preparation now is toward let's call it like brain training and awareness training and mindfulness and whatever so that I am performing trying to perform my best when i sit down at the poker table how
0: how important do you believe it is when you let's just say you're going to play you know it's been a long time but used to play online back in the day or let's say you're going to play uh when you were playing tournaments how important is it to to wake up get a good routine versus wake up roll roll out and just roll into the tournament like just literally out of bed drive over and play versus wake up work out do some brain train stuff how big of a difference do you think it makes
1: so you know Probably, if you go back before a year from now till today, my answer would probably be a little different. I mean, my last year, I've started to really think about this more precisely. So, you know, to give some specificity, like I, I wear an aura ring now. An aura ring essentially tracks a lot of stuff while you're sleeping your heart rate, this, a lot of information, you know, how much time you spend, how much time you're actually sleeping at night when you wake up, REM sleep, deep sleep normal stage sleep. How much is one A bunch of information? Because that? that sounds really interesting. Bucks. Okay. Actually I think these are amazing. Okay. Like and I'll tell you now that I have some data to go with it, like I'm actually not very good, sort of I'm very spacey. I'm always thinking about stuff and sometimes I'm even not that aware about how I feel like compared to most people with their body. But when I have data like this, it then gives you something to focus on and think about And there's a little bit of the horse leading the cart, obviously, and and the placebo effect is very real. But I will say that, um, man, I think it's more important today than I used to, to answer your question, because it's a very roundabout way of getting to that answer. And I would say, you know, how much sleep you're getting, your preparation, I think working out (laughs) in terms of day of maybe not as important, but in general exercise, like this is one of the things like I'm taking multiple nutrition courses, like biohacking your brain's health. It's a, that's a four week course. The second week was about how exercise contributes, like your mental acuity sharpness awareness is increased by exercise. This is like a fact, like we don't understand all the mechanics about this because our, you know neuroscience or neurological understanding is still quite basic but it's it's basically a proven fact that you know different kinds of exercise over the long term improve your brain's performance so while i wouldn't say on a day-to-day basis this is crucial and i'd say sleep is like way more important right but over like the long term getting regular exercise is actually very important to your brain like one of the ideas is you know BDNF which is a a neurotransmitter in your brain which helps like promote like new neuron growth and whatever is increased by exercise, like among other things, like your, when we look at kids, like they're constantly forming new neural pathways, and it's called uh, fuck. I'm going to forget the name of this term, but it's said, Oh, plasticity, neuroplasticity, like their brains are growing. And this idea that like, when you get older, this stops is just not true. And like this is an example someone gets in a accident and hurts their brain. And the doctor's like, they'll never walk again. Well, guess what? Some of those people do walk again. And okay. it's because through neuroplasticity, their brain, which had something that was shut off, like kind of reteaches itself. And this is like, so your brain can continue growing, but an exercise is, is a very important factor in increasing your neuroplasticity, right? So like, you know, moving around, getting exercise, you know, trying to learn like what types of exercise are better for it. But that's just one thing, you know, your diet, nutrition, exercise, like a lot of this stuff kind of matters for that and your
0: brain's function. What do you, what do you think about sleep? Like, uh, what, what's your thought on what's your optimal? Is it six hours, eight hours? What, what do you think is best for you? Cause that's something I struggle with. I tend to go to bed pretty late. Um, I have a hard time. Like, I, I don't know, what you call it FOMO. Um, what's it that night? Uh, narcolepsy? just, I, I just like, I, I don't like to miss anything. I feel like I'm the, I just up late. Usually I go to bed pretty late as a default, and then I would like to get up at like, if, let's say I go to bed at two or three, just for example. I would love to get up at nine, you know, and just be like, that's that's fine. But I feel like I need more sleep than that, and that's sort of how my body's programmed. I meant you mentioned something about you're doing some program about hacking your mind or something and training because doctors do it, right? They 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 do stuff where they're only up for however many hours, they stay up for twenty four hours. Um, what do you think about sleep? Because I'm fascinated by that, and I, I just wonder what you think is optimal and how you can maybe shift. Yeah, there's a
1: lot of little things I can give you. So first, I mean, the raw amount of sleep is important. Uh, also what's important is what, what type of sleep you're getting. So how restful you are, it's better not to be waking up as much. You want to figure out how not to wake up a lot during the night. You want to spend more time in deep sleep and REM sleep because they have more restorative physical and mental properties than, than say regular stage sleep does. Um, I would say, you know, to kind of answer your question a little more directly, it's not necessarily good to cut off the amount of sleep that you get, although you can do that on a short-term basis, like for one or two days and be okay uh, and not have it affect, uh, let's call it your readiness as yeah, much, like, like but Phil eventually Lock. you get into a sleep debt.
0: Phil Locke did that thing, which is crazy, right? That, and I don't know if he's still, I mean, there's got to be some long-term effects of that. Like he was up for five, six days almost or whatever. Yeah, I don't know.
1: I mean, I, listen, I've, I've had multiple 40, 50 hour poker sessions over my career. So I, you know, I'd say, man, here's the thing is like for my whole life, I've been a night person. And mean, we joked about this earlier, it's been very hard for me to do something like what I've been doing for the last couple of weeks. And, uh, you know, you definitely have a circadian rhythm, your body releases hormones and you can get used to it. So, you know, you want to, you want to try to train yourself about like when to go to bed Um, And when you're waking up, because your body will release hormones like testosterone, this and then melatonin at night. So it can encourage it. You know, the thing, too, is like learning how to shut things off and just having the willpower to do it at night. So like one of the things I'm really trying to do is at least an hour hopefully two, kind of really stop things that are like super active. So I'm not doing workouts or any exercise really within two hours of bed. Uh, to, cause it raises your blood rate a lot. I'm not even taking like a jacuzzi or a hot bath within about two hours of bed. Cause same yeah. thing raises your heart rate a lot. Although it can be really good to do an hour and a half to two hours or more before, cause your heart rate will go up, then it'll go even lower. So I'm not, um, when it comes to like, I'm not doing super active mind things. So like won't play poker, won't do any brain training, won't do stuff. That's really taxing my brain, like super hard within an hour or two of bed Uh, Try to shut off. If I'm watching uh, a screen with blue light, put on yellow glasses, um, even like, especially like an hour before bed or something, start to go more passive, like reading perfect, like right before bed. And, and just even doing that has really helped me kind of get ready for bed and, and go to bed. I think one of the biggest things that keeps me up is I can just mentally stay doing something for hours and hours. So if I'm playing a game, playing poker, or whatever, I can go all night. But me- making myself turn that off and doing things that are a little bit less mentally intensive, uh, I find I start to get naturally tired. And that's helped me out a lot. And, you know, I'm not saying like, oh, I've been doing this for a year. I mean, I've kind of, I woke up at 7.50 a.m. today. For me, that's quasi miracle. And I went to bed at 11.30 p.m. midnight last night. Being on a schedule like that is beautiful, and I'd like to keep continuing it. But you know, we'll see what happens.
0: And and uh, speaking of, of schedule and what's going on, your schedule's definitely different. You you've played you play some of the biggest mixed games, if not the biggest in the world. Um, you you're you've had a lot of success in those games. What is the what is the current status uh, of those games? Because no one's playing the Vegas are shut down. Have you been playing? You know, there's a ton of apps, ton of different things, ton of different sites. What are you playing any mixed games at all? Are you, are you keeping sharp? Are you getting any action in?
1: I've played a little bit of poker over the break, but really not very much. It's kind of like the least amount of poker I've played in a very long time. I went the first month and a half of this break playing nothing. And then recently I played a little bit of mix on the internet, but um honestly from a mental perspective. Oh, sorry. From a financial productivity standpoint, this has been one of my biggest kind of financial breaks in productivity I've had in, uh, in okay, I've got a charging issue, so I'm going to have to find a new place to set up camp. But Blair, Blair, it's been Blair. one of the bigger breaks that I've had in that and poker. So that really hasn't been too much poker recently.
0: And, and BTC's uh, BTC's looking pretty good around 8800 Do you, uh, you have any crypto predictions coming up? I know you're a crypto enthusiast overall pound for pound what uh what are your thoughts on the crypto world at the moment
1: i mean i mean the whole macro economic question is i mean crypto is kind of like the way i view it it's a it's a macro play on you know what you think is going to happen with the world with economics with fiat currencies um you know i there's short term, long term. I mean, short term. Listen, it's a really interesting situation. We've had a pretty big rebound right now, right? I mean, cryptos back up to nine k, you know, ten five down to four, back up to nine. Huge rebound uh, after a very big downswing. Uh, obviously, a lot of leverage in the crypto world, and that day, that twenty four hour period when it just tanked, uh, was not enough bids to to cover all the unwinding of leverage longs. Um, sucked sucked uh probably a lot of people lost some bitcoin uh you know the, the market itself has also recovered the snps back to whatever 2800 after 3300 to 2300 so um you know what's going to happen from now i don't know man if what's going to happen with the economies i mean it's hard to say are we going to go back down is there, are we going to retouch some lows Are we going to make new lows has the low already in you know short term a lot of guesses uh I'm I'm definitely I didn't really I mean I'm very cash heavy and I didn't really plow much in so if that was the low then I guess I missed out on some opportunities cuz I've I'm I was kind of waiting to really plow some in um but you know is what it is long term for your crypto question I think some of what's happening right now is you know relatively bullish for bitcoin I mean I I think One of the ideas behind Bitcoin is that it's a sound form of money in that there's a defined supply going forward. There is going to be how many there's going to be. And it's a great way to store value because of that. And you look at the way governments control their currency. And now this is a whole interesting macroeconomic question about like how troublesome is debt, how troublesome is interest, right? Because essentially the way our governments work is they have total control over the fiat currency through the central banks. And they're basically almost every first world economy is just running a deficit every year where, and and one of the ways that they're dealing with this is basically printing currency and they're causing inflation. And is this whole thing going to work out? Is it fine? Can we just keep doing that indefinitely? Or is they're going to increasingly get, More and more extreme, and eventually one day is there going to be a reckoning? Who knows? If you know the answer to this question, you're going to be super wealthy in 10 to 30 years because it's very hotly debated. Um, I think that there is a chance that there's going to be a lot of problems with this situation and the fiat creation. And oh, hey, uh, COVID, we'll just print, we'll just create $2 trillion out of nowhere, another quantitative easing. Oh, 2008 bank bailouts, three quantitative easings. And we'll just inject that into the economy. You know, my feeling based on everything I've learned and whatever is uh, I'm going to buy Bitcoin as a hedge, so to speak, against this great financial experiment the world is running. And um, yeah, because I, I think it's the soundest form of money we've created. And yeah. also parts of large dollar exposure that I have. So, you know.
0: It's, it's interesting because it's, it's so much as entry point, right? BTC, I know you and I have been discussing for years now, maybe since like 2016, 17, or I forget exactly when you got in, but it's it's been interesting to watch the ride. And of course, if you go back to circa 2012, 11, 10, if you got in BTC, it's all kind of fun and joking, right? But if you come in right now at like 9K, it's a bit of a sweat, right? Because it's like, yeah, it could really go down from here a significant amount. Um, but if you got in at 800 bucks or 500 bucks or 1,000 or 2 you know you're you're sort of playing with house money so it's it's tricky cuz a lot of people did you know you remember in that in that time period when bitcoin was just it, it hit 20k basically i mean it was at 20 bitcoin has not spent very much time above 10k in its life right it was, but if you but a lot of people i know got in around like 17 16 18 20 like they were like you know they're kind of like oh this is crazy and they got in people got burned when the taxi drivers and the strippers oh, yeah. are talking about about bitcoin in the cab and that's when the, that's when people i think you know. I mean,
1: I, I I think the way I look at it is that whole thing compares probably pretty well to the initial tech stock boom. And probably a lot of people did get in right at the end when it was blowing up and you got to buy tech stocks. And there was the great ringing out period. And the real true forces survived that and became amazing buys like Amazon and Apple and whatever. Right. But, um, you know, a lot of the a lot of things went down and went out and were bankrupt. And I mean, you know, a lot of crypto, like, listen, I don't really own any other coins. I think the uh, return on investment relative to risk, which is called sharp ratio for everything other than Bitcoin is like way lower. Um, so I, I basically only own Bitcoin. Uh, you know, maybe if you are a super expert and you spend your like life researching everything, just like with some other, <clears throat> you could come out with some other good buys that maybe overall you'll do better than Bitcoin. But that's very complicated. It probably takes full time job worth of work. It's easier just to buy and hold Bitcoin because essentially the play on Bitcoin is the play on, uh, you know, what's going to be the store of value, the digital store of value that kind of like backs up everything. And then I feel like the other crypto plays are going to end up being more specific plays in like specific areas of crypto of which, you know, one of the things about crypto is it's all like decentralized white paper. You know, there's not as much of a moat to like the information. Like if somebody does a coin that does something, someone else can just do a coin that does like kind of the same thing. And so, you know, there will be a little bit like first mover advantage in some of those areas, just like Bitcoin, you know, we'll say something like Ethereum versus another coin that's doing it. But, um, you know, I, I think, You know, really the biggest value proposition to me of all of crypto is kind of like what Bitcoin is going for. And it's just so far ahead of everything else that I just don't think it has any competition. So I just think it's like by far the easiest play and the safest play in crypto, which is already like a very risky play. You know, we talked about crypto a bunch last time. And yeah, I don't know what's going to happen. I mean, a lot of ducks are lined up right now for the next little bit. Like the having is literally happening. Happening. This month in May, you know, number of Bitcoin every 10 minutes gets cut in half. We'll see what happens with uh, legal regulations. It's in a somewhat nebulous zone, but there could be a time in the next year or two. We'll see like maybe if Biden wins this election, who knows? He's not like a huge crypto guy, but maybe the Democrats are going to be more friendly. If it, if it gets illegal, because right now, I think a lot of like institutions are a little worried to touch it. Which is why you don't really see like, hey, why can't I just buy like a crypto ETF or a crypto back asset with my money in my IRA plan? Like I can buy a gold ETF. But, you know, maybe that day is coming. So if a conjunction of these two things that having plus, you know, some like, hey, this is legal, like they've done in Japan, especially in the US, and this opens up IRA brokerage money or whatever, um, plus sort of the macroeconomic environment, we could could... Things could be good here in the next couple of years, JG. I don't know, but we'll see.
0: Who knows? Okay. Well, I, I know you're, you're, you've you've uh, you've put your time in for sure, and you understand crypto very well. Um, it's it's definitely an interesting interesting situation. Uh, I want to talk a little poker before we do take rest. We have a hundred, roughly a hundred questions, man. So we gotta like you know we got we're gonna have to dive in here. And I love that
1: people were that interested, so I agree.
0: Yes. We're going to have to do some of that. I see here. Look at it. And tell us what's going on with this picture. This was your uh, picture of choice. And, and I like it. Is this a monkey? Is this new year's a couple of years ago? I think you had a party. Is this at your house or what yeah. was going on here? No,
1: it wasn't at my house. It was a Halloween party. Halloween. That's right. Uh, from Maybe yeah, two year know, ago. last year or two whatever. And it um, wasn't last this year's year. was Halloween though. And I thought it was a, you asked me for a picture and I was like, man, do I want to give them another, like me at a poker table picture? Since this conversation I knew it wasn't even going to be largely about poker. So I said, no, I'm just going to do like a fun picture. I love that. Well,
0: speaking of fun pictures, Instagram, you got a lot of fun pictures there. Some showing some of the games. And that's a crazy looking Bobby's room picture there with all the plaques. Like, so, wow. that seems like one what of the I'm... typical games I play there. Give me, give me a, give me one of the games. that's not, that's uh, isn't a typical game. People maybe even heard of or, or explain like, what's that say? Very crazy. What? So very crazy pineapple. Okay. So
1: it's a game where you start with three cards and basically the very end of the game at showdown, it plays just like hold and you'll have two cards in your hand. Okay. But you have three cards up until the turn and on the turn, it used to be before the betting, but we've recently changed it to after the betting after the betting. If you're still in, you discard a card. So you're kind of playing three cards for most of the hand, but then going into the river, if you make it there, you're down to two cards and that's showdown. Ever? So it's like hold 'em, but like supercharged hold 'em. Cause obviously you can have like slightly stronger draws on the flop and stuff, and and you have a little more chances to like make a straight, whatever, more likely you're suited.
0: It's more- safe to say safe to say that's not solved. It's a crazy pineapple game. There's no. no solvers on that. No solvers. So yeah. So call
1: them a double draw high. So Five-card draw, high, but normally that game's played single draw. This is double draw. And unlike online, where normally I think in, it's in a few tournaments and scoop or whatever, it's no limit. This is pot limit. Super stud eight. So stud eight or better, pot limit, but super. So you start with four cards
0: and you, and you discard two or whatever uh, to play in. Which of these games is your – which of these fun games is your favorite out of these like kind of these different variations of like – I've never heard of uh, one or two of these. Out of those three games, probably Very Crazy Pineapple. Uh, Another – I mean, another game
1: that's not played as often, but I like – like I love PLO8 a lot. Um, I'm a big fan of that game. I don't know. I I love this mix. This is a great mix. All the wood plaques are Big Bet and the yellow plaques are Limit. This game is normally played – the, the recent kind of standard, although it's been played for more than this, is 2,500 5K on the limit. So 5K big bets, 2,500 small bets. And um, the the normally the big bet is played. Most games are 500 1K uh, with 125K cap, so 125 big blinds. Every game has an ante. Big blind puts in an ante. Oftentimes of varying sizes based on the game. Um you play San Diego style, so an Orbit,
0: and then you switch games. Um, San Diego style. Never heard that. Why is that it's just – that's what it's called? Because the
1: games have different blinds and annies, So, like, this is a way to just preserve that and just make, make sure you're kind of playing the same amount and, uh, yeah, whatever. In, in
0: the games – in the game that you're referencing in this in this mix, what's, like, a typical win or loss? on a game a
1: hybrid. Hybrid. I'd say a pretty standard result would be something like – 150 or 200 ish, one to 200 K, but like a lot of variants around that. So, um, could be five or, or could be five, could, could be more than five. Uh, but you know, something like 200 is a, a pretty typical one to 200 is a pretty typical result. I mean, some of that also matters on like style. Some people are a little more loose than other people. So like, I'd say hundred is more of a standard result for a tighter player and maybe 200 ish. Uh, more like along the lines of a looser player, and this is like an eight-hour session of live poker, so it's not even
0: that. Where are massive. you in that, that loose-tight mix? You're at the 150 or 165? I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm probably around
1: around the middle. Depends a bit on which game, too. I'd right. say, I'd say earlier in my career, I was like way more towards the looser side, and now I'm, I'm a little more, I'm a little more balanced. I've, mind in your, I've your, uh... tightened, up, tightened up a little bit as I've gotten older, but I, you know, I try to keep it pretty fluid. And I'd say one of the things that I, I've uh, one of my strengths is kind of like getting a feel for the game situation and adapting my play. Um, so like just whether the, the game's been going on for a long time, guys are tired, they're, they're on autopilot, ramp it up, start playing a bunch more hands. In fact, this used to be one of the reasons I loved playing, like, the marathon, like, Macau, because I used to go to Macau, like, so often be, like, 15 to 40-hour sessions. And somewhere around hour, like, 8 to 12, people just get tired, and their toughness goes down a lot, and
0: then my, I just turn on the animal. Just, and you've been waiting for this. Eight, like, you got an alarm on your phone for 8 hours. You're ready to take it upstairs. I would just, that's when I'd start opening,
1: three-bedding, like, just going going at it, man. Yeah beautiful yeah. uh and so some of it's just yeah just uh but not not that i would always play that way you know so it's, just, it's some of it's just getting a feel also like who's at the table is it tighter people is it looser people more aggressive people right i mean so i i try not to have like a, oh i'm just definitely going to play exactly this way type of thing i try to kind of keep it fluid but you know
0: how how are you in terms of energetically, like if you're running hot, are you maybe, because you know, the math, you know, like flush draws are supposed to hit this or where you're at or what it is. But like, is there times where you're like, all right, I could call a race here. I'm running hot. I'm going to fire it. I'm pushing it. Or do you, is it, do you not think like that? Are you, do you are you a heater? Do you, do you embody heater and poker? Do you believe in that type of stuff? Like when you're running hot, running cold or or not, do you not even look at it that way ever? <laughs>
1: Yeah. So I think that what you're talking about is a way of expressing what I would, uh, I identified early in my poker career, what's called winner's tilt. (laughs) Loser's tilt is when you, things are going bad and you're not confident and this, and you make decisions affect your play. But winner's tilt is exactly what you described is like, Oh, things are going great. Like I'm going to try to do more than I should. And, uh, you know, your confidence, this and that I'm running good. I'm lucky. Now I don't, I do want to make a nuanced point that there can be dynamics that happen when you're winning, which can allow you to, in some situations against some opponents get away with more. You know, I've definitely played in games, you know, one of the most Epic sessions I've ever had, um, which was a legendary Macau session, uh for people who are really long time macau people it's like part of the reason the games went private there was this session uh at the win and every, we all had to show our cards and i had this like fucking amazing win but it's like one of the stipulations was everyone had to show their hand when whenever they won the pot no showdown whatever and it was like you could just feel like i was running good and so it's like you're running good. Sometimes when people think you're running good, they want to stay out of your way. They're just yeah, like, it's oh, it's I'm like
0: fine. a heater, like the Dan Coleman's, Fader Holtz, Justin yeah. Bottomles. That you go, guys well, are feel that happening. happening. Guys are like they'll fold 10 off for a min raise, like and you're in the big blind just because they don't want to mess with you. Like that's that stuff goes a long way. Well, you start so,
1: picking up pots. But so so then that's something different. Then that's called your opponents are actually like playing worse, and because whatever they're afraid of you or something. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, so I, that's why I wanted to nuance the point. I do want to say I don't believe, like, I'm winning, so, like, I should play hands. But what I believe is if the set of factors exist such that, like, I'm winning and things are going well and my opponents will play worse because of that, then, then maybe I'll do something. But, but um, you know, it's not like I'm just automatically thinking that because I'm winning, I should, you know, gamble it up.
0: Yeah. By the way, I saw Koontz. Well, not by the way. We used to have this debate directly, Rest. We're not gonna say it by the way. But the, the, I see OTA Sports on here liking it. Do you have any idea what's going on in the sports card market? Have you heard about what's happening? Koontz has messaged me that it's blowing up, blowing which- up three to yeah, uh, it's three to four X whatever you got from him. He said my stuff's in that ballpark as well. You know the Jordan the this. Have you seen this? If you want to watch a series. I watched no TV. I've seen a few episodes of Tiger I'm King. A lot of pants, right? Uh, have you seen it yet? Yeah. I'm
1: I'm I haven't watched yesterday's episodes five and six. Excellent, isn't it? I
0: haven't seen it. Bro, I don't I rest. Bro, I'm telling you. Well you, you haven't watched I've any seen of nothing. It? I don't even know what's oh, happening. Oh, you're in a retreat. I've heard it's, it's amazing. Uh, this, this stuff apparently the Jordans have like unbelievably gone up like crazy shit. Like, right. He was telling me just the whole industry's up, but these are like the Jordan rookies and things are like three. To I got four the up.
1: Jordan rookie. There's like me the two-year Jordan rookies from him. I, I, I've got them from Coons. So I guess they've done well. There, Listen, MJ, MJ. There's, there's a few ways to look at like the goat debate, but I think if you're taking their peak, their performance at their peak, MJ is the goat. And, it's close, but there's not that much dispute. I think by the end of his career, you could say, whose total career body of work would I want? You could maybe make an argument for LeBron. It's getting close because, I mean, the dude basically has basically never been injured. I mean, Jordan missed the full season for an injury, which they talked about in this already. He retired like three times, and so he missed time for that. So you have, you're taking some years out, especially a couple years around the prime. I mean, his first retirement for the baseball thing was uh, almost two full years during the middle of his prime that just taken out. So, but peak Jordan is the go, in my opinion. And this is backed up through some statistical measures. If you want to look at peak LeBron, peak Jordan, what he did, who, I mean, Jordan was like a fucking psychotic, maniacal, competitive dude who was driven in a way that most people cannot even imagine to be the best ever. And that's what happened, and that's kind of, like, what it took. I mean, look at this guy. Like, he's insane.
0: Yeah. And congrats on the baby rest. You know, Kunze just had another one. He's got, like, a little factory over there. Nice. Koontz, congrats, man. It's good to hear your voice. It's been a long time. Okay. Cheers. See so you so we'll
1: guys. We'll get a catch-up call, Koontz, in the next
0: week. All right. We'll do it. All right. Bye. All right, guys. Sorry. We get excited. This is a mutual friend. We got a passion. Rast is another passion added to Rass list of things. Rass does also Rass, We're going to start taking questions. I did hit that on Instagram on your story. If you want to put it out and we're going to do questions right now. So let you me. Know I, I,
1: I follow the NBA pretty close. I mean, I'm in a fantasy league that now five or six years. I, uh, I bet the NBA playoffs, who's going to win the finals every year. Um, I mean, you know, obviously uh, poker, I refuse to pay juice. Yeah. But, um, you know, there's a bunch of people, especially when it gets to the playoffs and who's going to win the finals. Like, there's always people who want the other side. Right. So, you know, chats, whatever. It's fun. I love it. I I've, I've love it. Actually, really I'm actually betting the NBA in my life. You've won. I'm not super good, but I've, I'm up betting the NBA in my life. Well, I mean, listen, I was on the Golden State train from year one. I thought that they were like the truth, the this, the oh, three-point shooting, can't win championships. Yeah, right.
0: I think you, I think you, I think that, uh, I think you lost that, uh, was that, it was that my, we were watching my condo in Vegas that game. I think it was I did the, lose. that was the one, I mean, cause I bet them. That was sick.
1: Seriously. I bet them every year. I, I didn't bet them versus Toronto, whatever this year, but I bet them every year. I bet them four years in a row and we did lose that, that one, we did lose that one year. But I mean, you know, 3 and, I mean, I mean, and that was
0: I mean, that was one of the more amazing finals ever. LeBron, the fe- like if you actually really think about LeBron's mental state and him like what he did there, like he's probably trapped in Cleveland. If he doesn't get that title, he can't leave Cleveland without a title. Listen, LeBron, man,
1: LeBron has played really really good. I mean, like it's it's this like I don't want to slight LeBron when I say like I think MJ's the GOAT at his peak and LeBron's number 2. Because LeBron's fucking amazing, like how he played in that series was going say. how about how he played? Do you remember they they got swept the next year in Durant's first year, but game yeah. one when they went to overtime, and j r. Smith had the huge blunder, he played one of the most amazing games of basketball I've ever seen a human being play, and that game yeah. one yeah like single handedly almost beat the Warriors in Golden State like dude was unreal like. Here's the thing is like, I don't, people don't realize cause it's so long ago. We're talking about the eighties, like Jordan. There's like, do you know that Jordan averaged over 40 points a game or like in his early career, he averaged like 40 points a game in his like first six years. now his team didn't do that well in like three of those years against like the Celtics team that won the championship. He almost averaged 50 that one year, like Jordan, uh, Later on, like once they broke through the Pistons, they essentially won six titles in a row. Was
0: I mean, he, was, the, uh, was Jordan uh, coached by Doug Collins? He was. He was coached by Doug Collins. I, I saw a picture of that because I, I remember Doug Collins I thought was the Pistons coach. I
1: think, you no, know, right before – well, I, I don't know. Doug Collins had a super long coaching career, probably yeah. coached in a bunch of places. But I believe it was Doug Collins before Phil Jackson – uh, Phil Jackson was an assistant or Doug Collins and they, they made, they made the switch, right. which was a tough, which was a tough call. But I mean, you know, Phil, obviously, even if some of the technical stuff, in my opinion about the triangle and whatever was overblown, Phil clearly was excellent at managing the many personalities on the team, getting Michael to buy into uh, uh, Doug Collins was just like, give the ball to Michael and let him do everything. And uh, Doug Collins was a little bit more, hey, got to get your teammates involved and make sure like, they're doing well. And that kind of changed Michael's focus a little bit. They talk about this in the last dance as well. Yeah. And, and also Phil just managing like, very interesting, like even look at what Phil did with Rodman in this example in the last dance. Like during this season, they like basically get, let Rodman go to Vegas to party because he was getting really like disinterested and unfocused after Pippen came back. And then Rodman came back from that and was dialed in. And Phil just had a very good way of like managing all these guys who at this point now, in their are the, the, the sixth championship season, you know, they're all famous. They're all celebrities. How do you yeah. keep these guys dialed in? How do you keep them performing at this level? And Phil uh, yeah. knew what to do. So that, that was really his strength in my opinion, not the X's and O's shit triangle offense, whatever. I mean, maybe it was good. Maybe not. I mean, no one uses it anymore, so it couldn't have been that great. <clears throat>
0: but um, yeah, it's a, uh pretty crazy man it's crazy stuff all right let's rest this is always fun let's dive in let's get some i just want to say thank you everybody
1: for writing all these questions i uh, i appreciate the love and the interest and let's let's try to i might not spend a super long maybe we'll digress but i'm going to try to get through more questions as opposed to spending a long time on them i think that's
0: i I, I like i like that strategy here
1: but you never know jg are we starting from the top or what
0: Yeah. Let's let's just kind of scroll down the list. Like I said, I, if you want, I just put it out on Instagram that we're live now, a story. I don't know if you saw that, but um, I'm going to, I'm just telling people we're doing questions right now. So if, if uh, this is, this is your time, guys, if you ever want to get a personal question, a a channel, you have an emote on our Twitch channel. I mean, Rast is, uh, I, I say this all the time, you know, Rast is one of my closest friends, not just in poker, but Overall, so it's uh it's good uh it's it's good to catch up and have these these. I, I gotta start. Boy, doing boy, this is the most JG
1: time I've gotten in a while. I mean, jay you send me the updates here and there, but you're, you're not really available on a day to day basis.
0: You're I've been busy. busier than I've been for sure, and I it's uh it's good things, but it's definitely it's nice. We should do this. We have to we rest. We have to do a weekly podcast. Maybe that's our. Maybe that's too much. But what about a RAS podcast? Is there a chance? You know, we that? could do a regular.
1: Regular RAS podcast. Be week maybe week, maybe we could do a regular, shorten them down so they're like 30
0: minutes to an hour as I'll, opposed to – I'll tell you what would be a great thing we could do. On Twitch in particular because I've been streaming a lot. When I get down to like one or two tables, it's much easier to sort of uh, chat and relax. Like later at night, so it's kind of good your time as well. We could, I could, we could chat a bit on Twitch while I'm in like one tournament left or something like yeah. for a bit. That's a good way to do it. So we keep in touch and you get to be on the show. People get the rasty emotes out. So I think that, is, that <laughs> is a good idea that makes it a little bit less flexible on the timing, but I, I will try. I'll make that's it a big up. window. I'm out there for 10 hour <laughs> gaps. You know, you could just you pop on for 20, 30, 10, just say, hi, check in, see what's happening. Put a little energy on a, a flip. No more foreplay, JG. Let's get to these questions. All right. We're in guys. I can't take it. We're going live. Uh, oh, hold on. Okay. Here's, a, here's a question right away. And the live on the YouTube chat. Um, Hold on. Uh, here's a question. Please ask Rask. Is the channel you watch the most on Twitch? Do you watch anything on Twitch? And ask him why he doesn't watch more. Uh, tell him. Yeah. Do you do you watch any Twitch stuff or or YouTube? Do you have any YouTube or Twitch channels that you? I follow? don't. I don't watch anything on
1: Twitch. The only time I ever use it is to check in on JG. Just not really my thing. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. In terms of digesting content, uh, really what Twitch has to offer. I do have a number of YouTube. YouTube is. Probably the app, like the phone app that I I watched up the most. There's just a bunch of great channels that I found that have like amazing kind of information. So on YouTube, I I mean, I already named one in this, like extra credits. Uh, Let me look through some new quarter, some Kings and Generals, another history one, Crash Course, teaches stuff, Epic History, PBS Space Time. PBS Space Time has super amazing like cosmology topic stuff. Interesting. Uh, what else? Let me look through this. Oh, this guy, Thomas DeLauer, has a lot of great health stuff. Sam Harris, Royal Institute, School of Life. Uh, Alvin teaches poker, makes some pretty good poker. That actually makes my poker stuff. Curse, oh, Kursk is get. I'm, I kind of said it. Uh it's a Australian channel that makes like animated some of the best like five to ten minute animated video topics. I actually retweet a bunch of them when they come out. You gotta drop three kids
0: again. You gotta drop a list in for me. Yes. So there that, that's enough. That was enough of a list drop. All right. There we go. Let's dive. Here we go. Mary Great Bluff on Twitter asks, What helped you become a good poker player the most? What do you think sort of uh, was your biggest reason why you had success in poker?
1: Um I would say my sort of just the number one, probably my ability to kind of one track mind focus on something I'm interested in, which was poker for many, many, many years to like a super large extent. And I'd say decently beyond what like most people do. Um, whether it's even like kind of just who I am, borderline Aspergery, like who the fuck knows, but Even also just like play poker for 20 hours straight. You know, a lot of people get tired of doing something, even something they like after like two or three hours. And, you know, it makes it hard oftentimes in poker, especially there's like a lot during the course of a session, especially in old school poker when it's less about, you know, GTO and more about exploiting people and getting into the flow of the exploits and and developing those exploit reads and using them in the session and pre-adjusting and everything as like my, my money zone. And, uh, I just love getting into that. So that's number one. Number two, I think my brain works pretty well. And the synthesis of things that go into poker, I think touches on a lot of strengths of mine, analytically speaking. So whether it's logic probability, um, I've always had a good mathematical mind. Um, yeah. and, And so, yeah, so just good synthesis of all that stuff.
0: Okay. I lo- that makes sense. Uh, let's talk about your which win has meant the most for you. I'm going to pull up your illustrious career here on Hendon Mob uh, and show a bit of this. So 21 plus million in live term earnings. Just pretty pretty nutty. 7.525 million. I remember that one in particular was on the rail, had a little little sweat of that. That was a pretty good day. 30 uh, earnings coming, more, more than a third in this one day, which is a strong way. Is that the one that meant the most, or which one do you think was the, the most powerful? I mean, one? the most meaningful one for me at the
1: time that I won in terms of my emotions was definitely the first Poker Players Championship. That was the only one where I got true, joyous celebration right after winning moment. This first ESPN final table, probably maybe the only one that was like live on ESPN because that kind of stopped after that. So, from that, my emotional standpoint was that one. From the most
0: money to I won personally, Hold on, I want to I want to pause yeah. you. Talk about this because this was pretty incredible. Also, I was on the rail for this and I watched it. It was pretty. It was spectacular. You got Helmuth who prides himself. He's Mister WSOP. He is bracelet most bracelet. Yeah. Very emotional guy. Wants it. You know, super competitive. And you had a huge deficit. What was the, you were like 10 to one, eight to one, 20 to one. What was the, what was the head? What happened? So heads
1: up started and he had a small lead and he was just winning. And so, you know, listen, a lot of luck involved in any heads up situation like that. To be fair, uh, you know, there were a number of spots. I actually played pretty good. Like if you look at the cards, there's some hand where I made a pretty sick call of like a big check raise. He made like light on the turn and in one of the hands heads up. And then he like hit, he had like a double gut straight draw and check raised me like big on the turn. And I called it with like one one pair might even not even been top pair. And then the river he hit and I I laid it down, but I mean, he won a bunch of chips in that pot. Yeah. He he played fine. He, He whittled me down. And then basically I got it all in as a favorite. Some, at least one of them was pretty close. Uh, not a big favorite, but three times in a row in 30 minutes. And I won all three, which, you know, if you just look at that aspect of it, technically that's pretty lucky. Right. I was better than 50%. So 50, 50% to the third power is one in eight. And, you know, maybe I was better than 50% in some of them. So it was like one in seven or one in six to do what I did. If you just look at those all in odds and I did but, you know, I mean, it's, it's hard to like, parcel down luck to just being about that, right? Because, you know, was still lucky to have the series of hands that got from being close chips to being the chip lead, right? So how do you want to look at luck is, is very interesting, but yeah, no,
0: either way, this is like the most prestigious game. It's eight game. It's a 50 K it's ESPN. It's big money. You took it down. So this one was was, at that point I hadn't
1: really done anything in tournaments. I wasn't well known at all. It wasn't my first bracelet. I actually won another bracelet earlier that summer, but it wasn't that's- even up at the main table.
0: It was like off in some other place. And I saw that too. I remember that that's when we knew each other, but we were, you know, we were very friendly, like not, you know, I don't think we had, we had really become super close to this point, but I actually remember being at Antonio's uh, condo and talking, he like talked to you to go over and play this. It was like a 1500 pot limit PLO. I think you ended up beating Alan Kessler. heads up. I, and- I had just arrived from Brazil Sorry. on an international flight that morning. Right.
1: I'm like, I'm like, I'm going to take a nap, maybe go play cash games later that night. Cause listen, I mean, for basically my whole career, I've been predominantly a cash game player. There was like a five year period there, which when I posted a bunch of tournament results where maybe I was playing as much tournaments as cash over that stretch. But, um, you know, I've been playing poker eight, 17, 18 years. And for most of that time I played mostly cash games. So up until this point, I'd been almost solely a cash game player. I'd play some WSOP tournaments, kind of like, you know, it's the thing to do. They're in town during Vegas, take a break here and there. But it's like, I'm going to go play a $1,500 buy-in tournament on the day I arrive from Brazil and then not play cash that night. I'm like, no, thank you. And then he's like, I'll free roll you. And he started out with some number and I was like, no. And then he just kept upping the number. And I think eventually it got to like 40 or 45%, like one-time free roll, no makeup. And I was just like, well, I mean, this is a pretty good deal. I'm, I'm like, I guess I should take this. Uh, although who knows what my actual return is at the time. Maybe it wasn't that great of a deal for a
0: $1,500 dollars buying event. Maybe I was smashing Maybe Who the fuck knows? Anyway, yeah. I just... And, I, it's so random that Antonio felt strongly enough to care to like put you in. You know, this is a year before he wins the one drop for $18 million, But like yeah. the fact that he even like... You know, because now Antonio... Just,
1: listen, Antonio, you know how he is, especially sure. back in the day before married and kids... Man, he just needs that social. He needs somebody around him. So he probably just had no one go into the tournament with him that day. And he just wanted company. He he wants someone to ride over with him. We're obviously, you know, not just someone. Like we're good friends. We were good friends back then. And he's like, "Ras, I'm going to get him. I'm going to get him to come with me. How much, how much is this going to cost me? How much does it cost?
0: Yeah. <laughs> and then you win it, though. It's a pretty amazing story. But so, yeah, okay. so that one. But then, sorry to interrupt. And then that, that's the one. But the one that met, the financial one, obviously, we uh, have a couple million-dollar scores here, numerous million. Yeah, dollars. so
1: then then these other two were bigger scores. So then, you know, the raw number of the 7.5, obviously big. And I had satellited in. Now, even though I satellited in, I, I still sold about as much as I would have sold if I didn't. So... um you know, I, it was a 500 K tournament. So like, I didn't keep that big a piece of myself, um, compared to most things. And so, you know, I mean, 7.5 is big. So even not that big of a piece, 7.5 ended up being big. Plus I was essentially free rolling and I won, uh, all the money that I sold from, you know, whatever I, I kept to myself. So, but I think actually technically I won more money. The most I won in a tournament was the second, uh, second players championship, or at least it was close to that one because not only did I keep all of myself in the second players championship, I had a bunch of side bets. Yes. I remember that where, um, I technically, I think I had something around double on myself and side bets. Although I gave about half of that to a big chunk to Antonio. I think you had a piece of my side bets and yep. and whatever. And so, you know, I think I ended up winning something like one point five. What 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 first was in that tournament um, when it was all said and done? So like, I think that ended up being more than the what I won in the the
0: seven point five or or close or I don't know. This little tournaments break were about. breakout crazy crazy times, right? I mean, these are this is as good as it gets too. This was uh yeah, this some, yeah. some big scores there and yeah, um, I was just underpriced by the market. Timex was like he didn't
1: know like I was. I was priced, like, very modestly, and I thought I was, like... It was insulting. I, I was, like, beating the Bobby's Room game with, like, the best... Some of the best all-around mixed players in the world, and it's, like, some of the guys who he's pricing at, like, the very top who are minus EV, I'm, like... I didn't think my EV was that different than theirs, so I was, like... I thought I was a plus EV bet. I was, like, I was, like minus 115. I mean, I don't think I'm printing, because it's not... It's a pretty tough tournament, but overall, I mean, especially historically, that tournament... Pretty good sweet spot for me because, you know, obviously there's some big bet games thrown in there and those big bet games have no cap. So you got the no cap big bet plus the limit. So I'm, I'm feel like, especially around the time I won that second bracelet, like, uh, man, I, I probably was around one of the highest EV guys in the field because I had all my no limit experience. And this was even a few years ago when I was better in 2017 or whatever than today, uh, after three years of not playing as much No Limit, plus I'm probably a little bit better. I'm better overall at mix, but I was still quite strong then. So the second one and the second one meant a lot to me, too, because it's like it's almost like, oh, listen, I'm not as competitive as Mike, but you got to use everything to like work yourself up, you know. And so the fact that Timex slighted me with those those uh, with that that markup and stuff. And I was like, that's why right after I one, I was like, this was for you, Timex. Because it's like, you know, obviously I'm not saying like winning proves that I'm the best mixed player. It's like one fucking tournament and there's a lot of randomness involved in it, but you got to find ways to enjoy your win. Like you got to find ways to enjoy being lucky in your life, you know, because the the truth is, and this is actually one of the things I think I've really gotten better at over the years is there's so much time in poker where you're running bad, and whenever you're running bad, especially in tournament play, because like, you know, it's like to do well in tournaments requires a lot of luck. Like you know, it can be very frustrating and mentally draining. So I think like, you know, you want to try to minimize that, but the truth is that some of that's going to happen. But then the flip side is, is like you got to enjoy when you're running good too mentally, you know, you got to maybe not at the table with the winner's tilt, but you got to feel good about it when things go right. So,
0: right, yeah. that's, uh yeah, it makes, makes a ton of, a ton of sense. Um, okay. So those are, so that, that I think, again, we, we've covered, We've covered this before on RAS, kind of poker career and some of the bigs in the first podcast, but that's good. It's some of the questions people want to know and and understand. Uh, so that's one. What is the the biggest challenge you see for more success for yourself in the next three to five years? I guess poker or otherwise, what do you see in the next kind of upcoming challenges with your, your yeah. day life? I,
1: I see kind of like a, two challenges. So one for me is to maintain a level of interest in poker. Uh, necessary to continue winning at the highest level. Um, So that's one. And the other is to continue to kind of like maybe find some constructive things to do with my time outside of poker, Uh, you know, like bigger projects as opposed to, to smaller, like something that'll be more satisfying. So like one of these things that's slightly bigger is like, say learning how to mix. Like, I feel like that's a pretty cool hobby that if I spend a couple of years on it, two years from now, the me that knows how to mix and DJ, that's like a cool skill to add. But is there something else like, um, you know, something else that beyond just like a fun hobby for me to get into? I don't know. I don't have anything right now, uh, so to speak. But but yeah, uh, another way to make money, who knows? I mean, beyond just investing in things. So that's, you know... So that, that's definitely part of it. That, that's how I dance that. Yeah.
0: Okay. Um, sports. People asking about
1: sports. Basketball is the one I follow. Beyond that, a little bit soccer, mostly through talking with my son, Krishna, who's trying to go pro. Outside of that, I don't, don't follow very
0: much. But far and away, what I follow, what I know about is the NBA. Okay. Uh, favorite casino game besides poker? I mean... If you had to pick one, you got to you want to blow some time. If you are not a big gambler, I know. You you're not a pit action guy. But I, I
1: had to pick one, time. I guess I pick craps,
0: but I mean, I, I don't really enjoy any casino games. Okay. Uh, what is your po- biggest poker related regret? Mm-hmm. Maybe a time you played a game you shouldn't have, you took a shot, you were online, you did Yeah, I'd some. say I'd say right now it would be that in the last 3
1: years, I probably uh, you know, I spent I I've taken up a few things. I've learned learned how to trade and, and some other stuff. And it's it's been cool. But maybe if I had spent some less time on that and stayed up with no limit hold 'em, maybe maybe that. Not a huge regret, but I, I'd say if I could click a button right now and change the past me without having to go through all that and be the me that spent the time I learned trading and instead focused on continuing to play no limit hold 'em probably would have been better. Definitely financially. Um, although I wouldn't have learned kind of like a new skill. So I I don't know, I don't have any huge regrets and with in general, I try not to view life that way and, uh, definitely don't have anything that's really eating at me with poker for sure. No.
0: Okay. Um, I like this question here about when you, uh, how did your lifestyle change? Your mindset, or or your mindset overall, after cashing that seven point five million in the super high roller bowl, did did you find basically zero? But but like, what about? Yeah, but in terms of
1: people look at that number, and yeah, I mean, it was like a pretty big win. But I mean, by two thousand fifteen or sixteen, like I'd already been playing high stakes poker for years. I already had a pretty big size bankroll. As far as people even playing the five hundred k tournament, I probably had a larger bankroll than. Most of the non-amateur players in the field, most of the professional poker players, like I said, I didn't keep, uh, you know, I didn't win anywhere near 100% of that money because I sold a pretty big piece. Now, it was a big chunk and a big add to my role, but like, I, nothing changed, really. I mean, maybe the biggest thing is, you know, I probably wouldn't have, if I didn't win that within the next year, I probably don't buy my Tesla. I own a Tesla now. So that's probably the biggest thing I was like, I wanted to shift to having an electric car and I put solar panels on my roof. Um, so that I'm net, my net contribution energy wise is at least even, um, maybe I don't buy the Tesla model S maybe I buy a a more modest electric car. Yeah. It's probably the only thing.
0: Okay. Um, and what about like staying humble and centered? Because like in poker, I think that's one of the tough things. Is especially when you play high stakes, you know, there's highs and lows, right? You're gonna have days like you said, you could win win five hundred a million in a day in a cash game, potentially or more. Uh, how do you how do you deal with that uh, to stay humble, stay stay grounded when you're doing well and when things aren't going well? How, what's like a, a way you, you sort of uh, stay down the center of the fairway, if you will?
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think in poker you have to divorce some of the results from uh you know how you're feeling day to day i mean i think um you know jason coon my buddy wrote something and asked me to contribute which i did it's on my blog i'm about to send you the link it's it's the advice lifted from the heart from september 2018 that i wrote i think it the concept in that blog my internet is like super freezing and not loading so um Here it is there. Let me send it to you. Something is going on with my internet. This is really there. You can, you can post that and whatever. I just sent it to you in the chat. It's like, I mean, the idea that in poker you want to find, and I talk about this, if you think about a spectrum from confidence, arrogance, confidence, whatever. And then on the other side, it's like being scared, self doubt, and then just being self critical. You kind of want to find the balance between confidence and being self-critical um, where you're constantly analyzing the game you're in, what's happening, the situation, your own play, your opponent's play. You sent me on WhatsApp? I'm trying to right? be real. I sent you in the private chat in this podcast. Is WhatsApp better? Yeah, I don't even – I don't know where that goes. I don't see, okay. it. I don't see a message. I sent you there. It's on WhatsApp. Oh. And so it's like the answer to that is just, you. you want to – be reflect. I mean, I think, listen, this kind of meditation, uh, this self analysis is useful for anything, but especially something like poker, where you're kind of off on your own, you don't get a lot of really good feedback, and you've got to make a lot of these judgments yourself, right? This mix between being confident and making the right decision, but not being arrogant, uh, which goes into both your play and in a particular game and also the decisions you make uh career game selection what games you're playing when you're playing whatever versus uh being critical like really taking a good honest look and 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 asking the right questions and trying to be honest uh about the answers and you know I'm not saying honest in the sense of like always putting yourself down but I would say in general most people think they're better than they are and consistently feel that way about themselves throughout their poker career right so most people probably err more on the too much on the confidence side, but not everyone. So, I mean, it's different from person to person. And also, I'd say it probably changes over the course of your life, probably from when you're 22 years old versus maybe when you're 45, right? But yeah, so it's like that, that kind of that balance on that spectrum.
0: How old are you today? 36, five? 38. 38, but yes. Damn. 38. That's sneaking. The years go by. I forget. They just don't pause. 38. That's right. I always, all Americans the one I always get really wrong. He throws me off. AAD. I always think he's uh forget how old he is now, but he throw, he's, he's, he's older. Uh, what is the chat with us on your website here? Do is it, can I chat? Would you get my message or who gets it? Well,
1: I don't know. I, I didn't even really know that was there. I'm not sure where that
0: goes. I
1: haven't chatted with anyone on that, so I don't know where that message goes, man. Right. I pretty much I haven't been updating the website too much only really kind of been using the blog uh, maybe
0: a lot of the other <laughs> I'm I'm gonna give you I'm gonna give you the benefit of the doubt, rest. I'll tell you this out of the people you have a very nice website in poker in particular I could say there's only a handful of people that have their own uh, working website so I mean you have articles you have some content you got videos like this is a yeah, the person who made it did it did a great job is this your is this your music plan? On your website,
1: that is, that's a song. Yeah, I'm allowed to. I can change the song. It's not my mix. Actually, okay. I probably should put my link, my yeah. mix in SoundCloud. But no, that's some song
0: I picked. It's probably from three or four years ago. I like it. It's a, it's cool, man. I you got, you, you, got you got your blog on there. You guys can check that out as well. Um, okay, very cool. So here's uh, here's a decent question. How confident was I the first time I played the 50 PPC? Hmm.
1: I would say. Here was my feeling when I first played the 50 PPC. I thought I was very confident back, back then in 2012 or whenever it was. Very confident in the PLO and No Limit Hold'em. During the mixed games, I would say I was very sure that a lot of the field was better than me in, in many of the games. Uh, I think I was probably a little bit better than many people thought. I wasn't as lost or much of a fish as probably some people had assumed because I had a little bit of undercover experience at that point, but not very much. Right. But I mean, I definitely wasn't confident in, you know, the six limit games, but like, you know, I, I, I was confident in the sense that I'm like, you know, I, I can play solid and hold my own and I'm probably going to get underestimated in some of the games, especially like limit hold'em and like limit Oh eight. Uh, but, but yeah, I, I wasn't sitting there going, Oh, I'm, I'm secretly one of the best players here. Right. In- in these mix- and it was very much to my advantage that the final table w- went to no limit for TV.
0: Is that fun for you to be in a game where you're, you're basically like could be essentially guessing or, or just unclear about spots? You're going off natural instinct or is that kind of like, man, I yeah. should do a little more work? Or is that like you short, get
1: the a- short answer is yes. I've always loved that aspect. The way I've treated myself throughout my whole life and everything I've done, including poker, has been to just throw myself into situations, make it hard work out what I can on myself. I love that kind of like on the spot problem solving. It really motivates me. It really drives me. It's part, it's influenced my poker career, no limit. Pretty soon. I was one of the first guys to kind of jump into PLO, you know, back before it was cool. And then I was one of the first guys to then kind of, who wasn't an old school poker player, take that and jump into mix. And I love that. And it's almost part of the reason why, I wistfully remember the days before solvers because to me, the really enjoyable thing about poker was just throwing yourself at the situations and problems and figuring it out on your own with, you know, let's call it pretty limited tools that anyone can learn how to use. Like it's not that hard to learn how to use pro poker tools and throw in like third street, fourth street stud stud ranges or whatever. And, and, or hand versus hand and get some answers and extrapolate based on that. You know, but you're not getting like real GTO answers with that. You're just getting some probability and then extrapolating, oh, you know, so if this is the probability, how much equity am I going to realize in this spot? Is it a play? Is it not a play? Should I 3-bet or not? Right. And then and you go from there. And, and to me, just that kind of like, ba- I'm calling it basic analysis combined with just throwing yourself in and figuring it out on your own. That's what I always loved. Right. And some of that, let's call it problem-solving mystique, I'm not saying there aren't complex things but a lot some of that is gone now with solvers giving you the answer. Now clearly and I don't want to take away from the fact that there's a solvers there's a ton of questions. There's a massive space to analyze and a lot of like things to look at. There's a lot of ways that not only can you look at the right GTO play and extrapolate out more general ways to play correct GTO, but clearly solvers can also help you teach you how to exploit against someone who has tendencies. So obviously there's a lot of ways to refine and use this. And I'm not even saying it's not complex. It's extremely complex, but you know, it is using a tool very in depth to analyze and get answers to something rather than kind of doing it on your own in a very cavalier, let's call it cowboy kind of way. And I like the cowboy way. I've always liked the cowboy way. I think it's more fun um, than using the tool, which has driven my poker career very much over the last five or six years as I've been drawn to the stuff that I think is more fun as a way to play as opposed to, you know, just, you know, mechanically doing whatever's best and maximizing my time. Now, right. I don't want to say that I don't use solvers. I, I obviously have, I own PO solver. I know how to use it, although I'm not like super, super well, probably compared to some people. But, you know I know how to put in hands and put in spots and you know put in various bet sizes and whatever but um
0: but yeah, yeah, so you're it makes sense um wh- someone asked me about w s o p and the postponement of it? It's kinda crazy, right the no sports, no w s o p it's sort of like part of your routine, if you will being in Vegas and whatnot, how would you play the postpone one? What do you think about online WSOP? Would you travel? Let's say they had the full schedule. I mean, you're not so into tournaments at the moment. Would you go to Canada or Mexico if you could play online, the full schedule of WSOP? Uh, what are your thoughts on the WSOP and what's going on with that?
1: Um, I will probably not travel for the WSOP. No. Uh, if the WSOP is in Vegas, like normal, we'll probably end up playing. I've, traveled to one WSOP Europe and I mean it was cool Juliana came with me was in Berlin weren't you there too we, we hung out we, there. There. we were, were there we had a bunch that's right we were there uh yeah I mean listen the tournament turnout compared to Vegas WSOp is like way less and um, you know I mean makes it easy to win a bracelet can't say I care like too much about that it's nice, but I'm not going to go travel somewhere just to try to win easy bracelets. You know, I, I just, if the WSOP is in
0: Vegas, I'll do it. I probably won't go if it's somewhere else, but I mean, I'm not going to rule it out, but I'm saying if if they mimic the schedule on one of the sites online, they just took the exact schedule they had planned. They throw it up so you can play online. Would you play it online? Uh, yeah, I
1: might, I might play some, I mean, it's yeah, I might, I might end up playing some of them if they're online.
0: Okay. Um, people ask and they want to know about how you achieve success. We've talked about this craziest prop bet anymore in sight. And I mean, I, it's right here. I think on your website as uh, with the bicycle there. I mean, that's yeah. go that's to my cool. website, show them, JG, go to the blog, go to blog, click over there. Oh, well, let me get to the blog. Yep. Okay.
1: Okay. Now scroll down. You might have to go to the past. Now on here, as you do, scroll down and find the bike bet blocks. Okay. I'll tell them I did. I did a series of three bike prop bets starting from I bet on Dan to someone go there? to some more older posts. Okay. Come on, man. You know how to use, you know how to use internet. It's hard, but I'm fine. Like oh, yeah, that's right. part two. There's part two and part one. All right. So part one is about the ones that I didn't do, which is betting on Dan and number. And then someone bet me and then bought out. And then second one Bart two is a much longer post going through the bike bed I did. This was easily the craziest pop bed I did. Essentially without training, I had to ride a road bike from Vegas sign in Vegas to LA, which was about 300 miles. That's the route. I had to do it in under 48 hours. Uh, and that that's it. And, um, I barely did it. And it was one of the hardest things in my life. And that was about the journey. If you want to read about it, it's a pretty interesting part one, which has some background about how it got there and why that was even a thing. Cause it started with Dan's proposition. And, uh, it's a, it's a pretty interesting part. One is very interesting from a gambling perspective, which probably a lot of people on this podcast, like, like fun gambling stories. And then part two is like, my own doing a bet fun gambling story
0: yeah that's that, it, it's the numbers and the the actual the whole thing that's got to that's be something to just be proud those are one of those things looking back in your career you'll be like that was pretty awesome like that was listen, just- I won I won the crew a lot of money because Dan
1: he, oh, listen here's the truth Dan so in the second bet I'd hired Dan to be my coach I gave him 25% of the action he had a coach Nate who was his like primary coach okay Nate. <clears throat> so then Dan bets me for the third bet. After we make the bet, I'm talking, I'm trying to, f- I have 24 hours to basically get everything together. Now, now I'm betting Dan. So anything I was going to get from Dan, I'm now not getting because he's the guy betting me. I talk to Nate. Dan's coach, bike expert, looks at the wind map, comes back to me and tells me, I have a 0% chance of doing this, but you might as well give it a good old college try. I then try to buy out. But Perkins has already bought his private jet to come to Vegas. And they're like, any buyout starts with you just covering this private jet cost, which was like 40 or 50K. And I'm like betting 100 to win 600. So I'm like, man, fuck that. I'm just going to give it a college try. So then, then I did it. So then I shipped the thing that an expert told me I had 0% chance of doing because there was going to be a, and there was a strong wind going against me on the next, on whatever the, the next day. Wow! I, I I gutted that one out, man. I gutted it out. And listen, I won. I believe Perkins and and Dan combined because I won six hundred, but I think they lost. I heard something in the one and a half plus, like one and a half to two. Like everyone else won,
0: like over all my boys. Everyone yeah, who I was did. on it. I was in yeah. on it. It was fun, fun sweat, really crazy shit. Like yeah, crazy. I'm like, listen, people were like, "Can I have a piece?" And
1: I was like. No, (laughs) I'm sorry, guys. I love you, but I need to have this whole bet to motivate myself. Like this is going to be hard as shit, and like I need to have this 700k swing. So then, you know, a bunch of people started betting them, and so they they ended they lost more money betting other people than they actually lost to me.
0: But crazy. All right, well let's take let's take a couple more here. There's a lot of people asking about the monkey. Is that your pet monkey? That's not a pet monkey. What's the monkey at the party? A guy.
1: Uh, brought a monkey. Oh, here, here's the... And then I just put it on me. I thought it was a cool picture. I was Rick. I'm Rick with a monkey. Hey, uh, from Rick and Morty. Oh, here's one. What has been my best place in the main event of WSOP? So I, I answered this question. This is a secret shame of mine. Since I've started playing poker, I've missed the main event only one year, a year for my uh, wife's immigration meeting um, down in Brazil to to get her green card and come to America to marry me. Uh during that whole time, I've only cached one time and it was a like four or 500th place or 500th place or something. You'll, if you look at my caches, so it's, it's a shame because one of the best events of the year, and I just fucking air it every time. I, I definitely have a problem with one of the things for that event is just staying patient because it's so long and I get in there and sometimes whatever in the first day, two day, three day, fourth day, somewhere in there, I start trying to do a little too much and somehow it just hasn't really worked out for me. I know there's monkeys who amass huge chip stacks, probably doing way worse plays than I do. But every time I do some monkey shit in the main event, (laughs) it really ends up not working out. Like I I remember I like, uh, what was it? Oh, this is one year. Let me give an example. I'm on like day two or three, this young guy, Shows up. I'm a great table. I got all old dudes, like four seats to my left. I got a decent amount of chips. I'm like, I'm going to ravage this table. (laughs) Like they they don't even know what's coming. I'm going to open hands. These guys aren't going to three bet me. Like, I'm going to just like shit on these guys so hard. And then this young guy shows up and, uh, he's like 10, 15 minutes late. Right. Messy hair. I'm like, this guy's like, he doesn't give a shit. First hand. It's folded to him on the button. I'm in the small blind. He was like right to my right or whatever. He opens. Okay. I decide to three bet like the pocket threes already bad decision. Should have just flatted. Let's just not even analyze that motherfucker. Bad decision. All right. He very firsthand four bets me pretty big. And I'm just like, okay, Bayesian analysis. Here's a young dude shows up 15 minutes late, opens his first button Four bets. Me the first open small pairs are actually pretty decent hands other than like, you know, obviously like ACE five suited would might be the nut, like not good hand, but I'm like, this is like an okay hand. I kind of had a decent stack to like, he had a little bit less chips than me. I like a decent stack to like five bet rejam, you know, like uh, if I get called, if he has ACE King, then, you know, I'm actually doing okay. So, Whatever. He had aces, obviously, but it's just like, uh, you know, so just every once in a while, something like that happens. And obviously I just should not have three bet the dude to begin with. I should just flat play post, not play a big pot against this dude and just ravage pre-flop in my great seat to open. So it was a bad strategic error on my decision followed up by what might've been an okay tactical Bayesian analysis decision. Although I was making a bunch of assumptions but one of the things I had learned early in my poker career in some of these spots, like when I would play tournaments a long time ago, back when people were really bad, like 12, 13 years ago, one of the things I would tell myself is early in the day, in the first 30 minutes, in the first hour, don't do crazy shit, Brian. Right. Just fucking wait till you really get a better read on some yeah. of these guys after playing with them for an hour, see who's tight, see who's crazy, then make some of your exploitative plays don't just make an exploitative play that you're just making assumptions. The very right. first conversation. Uh, I'll,
0: I'll say to add to that, I think that's a great, a great way of looking at it when you go to a new table. It's essentially it's the same thing, right? When you go to a new table, there's dynamics going on. You're there, you don't know what's going on. You just come in and then like try to level yourself or yeah. do some kind of thing. It's like no, you need to. It's a new day. It's basically like you just started a new day. Now, every time you're at a new table.
1: I want to make an exception. Now this is like let's assume you're not playing with world class opposition, where it's probably best just to try to go with the right GTO play. This is dying. You're playing with people who you know are going to be bad, you know, they're going to make mistakes where you can really capitalize for big EV. And you're pretty sure that's the case. Give yourself a chance to figure out what those exploits are before you just start clicking
0: buttons. Right. You know, that's a, that's a great thing. All right, well, let's take, listen, Rast, we have, we're, we're we have guys, there is a, a, you guys just put out so many amazing questions. We've had a lot. Let's do let's take one, one more, two more, anything that stand out to rest here. Okay. Let me look.
1: Uh, <sighs> Have I ever traveled around Brazil or just Rio, Sao Paulo? Um, I've spent by far the vast majority of my time in Rio, which is where my wife is from. I have gone, I have gone to Sao Paulo. I have gone um, to the area where my wife is born in Campina Grande in the Northeast, um, Joaopessoa, Campina Grande, uh, that area. I haven't traveled around Brazil nearly as much as I'd like. My wife, I keep talking to my wife like, Hey, let's like rent a car and go like drive down the coast to the South, a whole bunch of great places. Um, haven't done it really. I, I end up going there. Here's the thing. I'm not going as often anymore. And now when we go, we just kind of rent a place and a bunch of her family and friends come over and we hang out and it's like family time. Right. And so, um, but yeah, I really want to see more of Brazil. It's obviously a huge country, a lot of amazing places to go beyond just Rio. Although, to be fair, Rio is a fucking awesome, amazing, beautiful, vibrant city. One of the most beautiful, physically beautiful cities in the world by far. A lot of stuff to do. A lot of great beaches. A lot of great things to see. Uh, so Rio in and of itself is awesome. But yeah, I want to go see more of Brazil. And I will at, at some point. But I haven't seen enough of it yet. I love it.
0: Um, all right. Last, uh, last question. The Phillock Phil Lockhand, which I was at the table, the Premier League hundred twenty five K buy in. That was a point I believe you were in a bit of a downswing. You were you were not having a good Premier League. if you haven't watched it, guys, it's unbelievable. You could type it in Phil Lock, Brian Rath, sure it'll come right up. Uh, was that was that that hand, is that your favorite poker hand maybe ever? Your one of your biggest calls situationally. I mean, it wasn't maybe for the most money, but like I mean it was still a big call. I mean you would have been out of Premier League basically. You would have yeah. been out. So you would have
1: kind of like my my if you match everything up, it's kind of my favorite hand. Yeah, because I mean, it was it was on TV uh, against one of my one of my close friends and in a, in a big spot situationally for the Premier League. So in, in the context of my career, not one of the biggest money, but like a decently big spot. Like if I didn't place really well on that, I was out like I had to do really well on that. So if I made that call and was wrong, I was just done in the Premier League and a pretty obviously not a GTO call generally probably not supposed to call 8x pot there um you know i kind of knew it at the time which is as i'm talking through the hand in the four minutes i don't do this too often but i talk through a lot and you know it's just a big fold in the books which is basically me saying like i know i'm kind of not supposed to call this but just there was i was working it through and just felt like Philly was running one on me.
0: I was going and for it. I had to, had to fucking ship it in there and, and look him up. I love and it. I love it. That was, that was special stuff, man. That was definitely like the, having Antonio there to just add the needle as well to, to lock and tell him he's a dumbass. He said his drink, gave it away. Just like, you know, just the whole yeah, thing. The drink, the drink did not Antonio makes that. Then that actually did not influence. Right. I know, but he just, he just, he has all the BS, you know, he loves to, uh, he loves to to add to the pain. All right, Rest, we're gonna give someone a fifty-five dollar ticket, courtesy of party poker. Maybe someone spins up the dream with the fifty. You never know what a fifty pack can do. So, rest I'm gonna let you count it down. You tell me when someone's gonna win this fifty-five. I think we did cover, we covered a ton of stuff. And listen, Rest, you're you're one of very few two time podcast guests. Don't think that a three pizza He's yeah, it's no, it's dude, I know it's really is fun and like I said, we can always not have to do an official podcast. You can come on Twitch and you got your own King Rasti emote, let people go go wild, maybe get a couple deep runs, come sweat. Uh we got a big day of streaming as well with this today, a big day too and a million dollar streaming.
1: Did you make it through the 2-hour podcast? We who are about to die salute you.
0: Yes, all this right. is
1: all all involved. Now. <laughs> now, boom!
0: Right there, and I'm not. I'm not. Hold on, I wasn't on. You got to redo the now. I'm Holy shit! Hold on, tweet draw. We're there. We're, we're, we got to tell me. So the matrix, the uh, the whole matrix, the whole oh, thing. Someone too. different might win. Someone shifted, or will it be the same person? Be the same. Now, boom paste it in. Someone's a $55 ticket. It is LaBrasa Pierre, probably pronounced it wrong, but you have a $55 ticket. My friend it hasn't won before. First time winner. Uh, boom. King Rass. any closing words, any thoughts in this crazy time in the world? Any, any message to deliver on your way out today?
1: Man, you know, uh, thank you guys for listening in. I hope that you enjoyed the podcast. It's, it's an interesting time in the world. This is, Obviously, one of the difficulties, humanity, a little more difficult, a little tougher, a little more extreme than normal times. But listen, we got through stuff like this before. We've gotten through much worse than this. Hope you use this time in order to sit back and look at your life a little bit more introspectively. Think about the things that are really important, like you know, family. And uh, you know what? I don't want to trivialize anything. But the truth is, is that humanity is already going through stuff that, in my opinion, is way more of an existential threat, climate change or artificial intelligence, potentially, you know, or 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 other things. And we will go through stuff that's probably a much bigger problem than COVID in the future. Like, imagine any potential World War Three, you know, use of nuclear weapons, proliferation of nuclear biological weapons, you know, a worse virus than this. So keep everything in perspective. And, you know, just one of the things about this is remember that your fellow human is everywhere on the planet They're not divided by nations. They're all your fellow man. We're all going through this together. Got to keep the love, the cooperation, the respect up, you know, and um, and yeah, I mean, just re- just remember that one love.
0: One love. I, I love it. King Rasty right there. That's the man. ZAR Rast. Follow him on Twitter, Instagram. He has a website. We can see here. Uh, he's got a wiki, you know, guys. SoundCloud. I sent it, send him so they can uh, people check out, check out my mix. Let me, oh,
1: right here. Right. This sound. Yeah. I got it right here. This mix. Gonna... It's mostly house. It gets a little trance and a little down tempo. Uh, like I said, most of it is song to song it's clocks in a little over an hour and a half there's i mess up for please forgive i hadn't been doing it too long in one or two spots a couple quite good transitions though and there's a few spots where i do some creative stuff like like i said i were rolling in the deep on top of a techno song that came out really well some rufus on top of rufus whatever so if you like house music i think you're gonna like the music selection the mixing is nothing too impressive I'm, I'm a beginner. But I I you know I put some time in and planned this out and did about as good as I could have, although there is one decent error somewhere. Shh, don't tell anybody.
0: We'll see if you can spot it. We're going to be playing it today. I don't know. Is it, it's, it's on SoundCloud. Only or can I play it on my Spotify? I don't know. It's on SoundCloud. It's on SoundCloud. Brian Rath SoundCloud.
1: The name that I gave it is Introduction. Uh, okay. Well,
0: I, I don't know. I'll, I'll play it on my Twitch today, guys. I'm going live here in the next not long, so I'll be live. We'll be playing it. We'll listen to Rest, Mixy, Mix and Rest, and we'll uh, we'll have some. We'll have a good day of streaming. And Rest, we appreciate it. Second podcast, you want to check the first one out. We were live in person in the Bahamas last year in January, but here's part two in the books. We appreciate it. Give them a follow. Thanks for your time, King Rest. We'll check in a little later and call in. Message me anytime. Pop on Twitch with us. You know that. Good luck today. Kill him, JG. We're going I for want it. To get, I want to get those texts. The the JG fi, JG Rapid. Fi- Higher. jg sends you a message you respond then boom notification 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 it's like WhatsApp web it's not a hobby bro i'm gonna hit you 20 messages before you even blink and you just all i need all i need is one 20 to one that's how we do it we'll see you in a bit. I, from what the, you've been telling me you're on a good run right now you gotta run. win you get this we're you first second, first day twos Chip leader shit, going in final tables. Yeah. Coming in, bro. We're going muito forte, bro. I'll see you. Boa noite. Uh, prazer to all the Brazilians watching out there. You guys? Saudades, meu amigo. There we go. Eu Look at that. Portugues. We could have done it in Portuguese, partly. We could have done it. We'll do it maybe in passo. the não sei se você pode. I love it, man. All right, King Rest. <laughs> Thank you. Sabe. Don't leave. Saudade. Yeah, don't leave, man. We yeah. gotta leave. Separation anxiety. We're out. Cheers. All right, guys. That's it for Brian Rast. Follow them, check them out. Thank you again for watching two more podcasts this week. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So much fun. Uh, thanks for all the questions, interaction. We'll see you soon. Thanks for listening to this episode. It was brought to you in partnership with Party Poker. Go to partypoker.com to play tournaments, cash games, and improve your poker game. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast to hear all of my future episodes.